Welcome to Drinking Bros, presented by GhostBed.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. Yeah, welcome to Drinking Bros, kids. Got a man in a suit next to me. Look at you, not dude. Quite Look at hey, you. No tie. Isn't that casual enough? No, it's not casual enough. Yeah, what are you, a fucking cop or something? Come on, Baby, bro. Because I got drugs. I just need to know. Uh, are you? Just write down everything you got right here, and I'll take it back to <laughs> you. Yeah, dude. Did we do something wrong? What happened? From what I understand, every day, yes. Probably. Yep. I mean, look at look at this. Um, you look like my dad, and I look like some loser piece of shit. Um, son, <laughs> who's disappointed you your entire life. Wait, I'm sorry. I didn't sorry. get a golf scholarship. I think, uh, I'm not sure how old you are, but I'm pretty sure he's a decade I'm younger 33. than you. I'm <laughs> 33. How, how old are you? I'm 42. Yeah, 42. he's like 10 years older no. than me. No, he's <laughs> freaking dirty. And, he fathered me. He reared me. In your fucking dreams. No. Yeah, you know, you aren't my son for sure, but you definitely are disappointing me. So. <laughs> okay. Well, fair enough. Hey, one out of fair two ain't bad. That's yeah, five, yeah, 500. Not bad. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, who's the celebrity that, that they say you look like? Me? Yeah, you. Okay, so um, in Iraq, right? Mm. When I was in Iraq, mm-hmm. the Iraqis all said I look like Charles Bronson. Which I what? I, yeah, yeah, that's what I, I see. That. That. That's the latest movie they've seen. They haven't seen any new shit. Yeah. But yeah. I was, I was Bronson happy. or Van Damme. Yeah, I got I Van Damme. Van Damme. Yeah. But uh, Charles Bronson was pretty good. Yeah. Um, Mine was Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, he looks a lot like Forrest wow. Whitaker. And yeah. uh, and he's like younger, area, a younger yeah. Forrest mm-hmm. Whitaker. In the mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Delco. I'm I'm seeing Rory on this one. I think he looks like uh, like a Rory McIlroy, like maybe a brother. I don't know what Rory McIlroy looks like. Yeah, pop, I think he pop does, him up on screen. I don't think he looks like Rory, but he does look British. Yeah, he's kind of British because he's wearing a suit. Because wearing a suit. Well, pop up a picture of Rory <laughs> no, McIlroy with a, stubble. You have a very British face. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pop right. it up. We're fighting later. Oh, yeah. there you go. Perfect. That's a great <laughs> one right there, Bob. Yes. Yeah. Make oh, the that, same uh, face. Yeah, I can see that. Make the face. Make the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you. That's your brother. All right. Well, look how underdressed he is, though. Well, I mean, he's a golfer. He's got the cardigan. Well, that's, no, that's no excuse. He needs like white pants and a and a dress yeah, shirt. And a I can ass. hear you breathing, dude. I can hear you breathing. <laughs> I'm a mouth breather, man. I'm a. Are grunt. you really? You I'm sorry. Son of a bitch. He's in the army. So I mean, he's a mouth freaking, breather. You fucking I'm not, I'm not an officer like this guy. You know, I actually work for. Him, but you're so. a gentleman. So it's we hard have to an breathe. Officer and a gentleman go. there. there hard go. to breathe out of your mouth when there's stuff full of fucking crayons, anyways. Right. Truth. They're delicious. Ben is here. Mac is here, and then we got Nick Palmer. Shano here back there. Uh, hello, Nicholas. How are you? Always a pleasure, Ross. Yeah. Hey, tr- uh, you said you would crack open the hard AF seltzer on air. You've never had one. I have never had any hard seltzer of any kind because in uh, real life, ever. He's, you're like shit. one of those people that have never watched Game of Thrones. You get to a certain point, and now you're just an asshole. About yeah. It. Yeah. Like I've never watched it. And I never will. You piece of shit. Yeah. You fuck boy. Drink that fucking seltzer. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it for you guys. Yeah. All right. Let's we see it. Let's it. see it. We'll get a live reaction here. We're, we've got like and, uh, 80,000 fucked up I'm, I'm going for peach because this is what you recommended. So here I we sure go. It. Well, I'm a Georgia boy, so I love it. I love it so much. It's good. I'm on board. All right, there you go. Round of applause. Thanks. Get a real, yeah, there that it is. Was a, that was an easy sell. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. He's an easy man. Um, have you been to Nick's house in real life? No. no you haven't? I'm, he's I'm not, not allowed. Not. He's got a fucking awesome home bar. I don't think anybody knows it. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm spilling secrets outside of school here, but it's like this old wooden bar. Yep. 
that when you go in, you sit down hmm. like you're in. He he'll go behind the bar. You sit on the stool. And it's real old timey. You, you tell got, like, about your problems and liquor. Shit? Everything. Yeah. I think like the my, first... my fucking wife, man. Yeah, man. She's over there now, <laughs> but man, she needs to hear it. <laughs> Because otherwise, it'd be DV at that point, you know, domestic violence. Yeah, I built that bar. The first time I was at your house, we were there for, I think, four and a half hours just talking at that bar, getting fucked up. Um, But I enjoyed it. Uh, Now you guys are all in town for for, uh, your book, and you're doing a huge event here. Bravo Company, is it out now, Ben? It is out. Yep, it is. You can get it. Today, actually, yeah. And, out uh, today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Ben um, Kessling's book, <laughs> Bravo Company, is out today. It's available everywhere you can get books, Amazon, Audible. He read his own fucking book, luckily. Proud I, of you. I you have to. I forgot yeah. to ask the last time I saw you, but uh, when I saw it this morning, I pop up, I'm, I download it because I usually read them that way, although I've already read it, but mm-hmm. uh, very excited to see you read your own book. Yeah. It, uh, that was yeah, that was a good experience, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> I think it, uh, it did add something to it. Yeah, to, it definitely does. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when you're you're going to do this media tour for the next couple of months, and people are going to recognize the voice, that's what's important. Yeah, for and sure. The the voice, the jacket, they'll never see it. My I man. don't think they care about the jacket nope, or the, or sure the British face. They're I don't sure think don't. they care about. You know. I don't care about your whole British shit. Because what you can't see here because of the desk, there's fish and chips all over the goddamn floor. Yeah, this and guy. he's also not wearing pants. No, he's wearing a thong and shower. Yeah, shoes. it's really Is weird. Yeah. yeah, well, silkies. I'm yeah. wearing silkies. What are you going to do? Man? You got some slides on. You got some slides. Um, this book is fucking wild, man. Um, Dan was filming me mm. in about it uh, yesterday. Holy shit. How the fuck are you still alive? Uh, well, well, it's these it's, guys. Yeah, it's these guys. Any like, alive, um, yeah. So Mac uh, Mac is part of this, uh, this Bravo, Bravo company. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. I wrote about their deployment in 2009 and then kind of coming home and what it's like to be um, what it's like to deploy, what it's like to come home as a veteran and, uh, and, and live with all that. And so, and again, how the fuck are you still alive? Like, I don't, it's amazing. Well, I don't know, man, that on that deployment, I was one of the guys, I think like everybody else in the company that came to terms with the fact that we weren't coming home and we're back here, dude. And, uh, telling the story, but, uh, it's, uh, like, that thing, man, and I tell these guys now, because that was my fourth combat deployment, and that was hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had been through hell before, but that was, like, the real hell. And then I, you know, stayed in later. But, dude, like, yeah, this book, uh, the way Din, uh, Ben goes about it, man, and just, like, it is real. Yeah. There's, you know. I really enjoyed the way you introduced the end of, like, the, the scene <clears throat> itself. And then start progressing through the individual characters, and then weave them back together. Yeah, I, I, I thought Thanks. it was a really good way to write that book. Well, and you know, Max said, you know, he said is that let this deployment was hell for them, but like to for for folks who are looking to read this or want to know about it, they, these guys were in the Argadab Valley in mm. Afghanistan, right? A hundred meters away, or uh, yeah, a hundred uh, clicks away from the nearest fucking other person. Well, they went on the on the first part of their stuff. Yeah, they were like yeah. they were all spread out, and then <clears> yep. yeah, and so they're in Afghan in, in the Argadab Valley. And anybody who's deployed to Afghanistan knows about the Argandab. And these guys, they didn't see a whole lot of um, they didn't see a whole lot of firefights. All they yep. saw was IEDs, mm. man. Like every day, walking, not knowing if you're going to step on one. And uh, and yeah, like talking to these guys over a couple years about it, just what that does to your head, not yeah. knowing what the next step is going to bring. Yeah. So anyway, and this yeah. is why I love this job every single day. I've never gotten sick of doing podcasts and everything else is because we get to hear stories from real people that we would never, ever get a chance to hear from. Um, and it's the same thing about writing books like these, because I'm sure there's thousands of these stories, 
But unless somebody writes a book about it and then comes on a podcast or, or gets on a, you know, Drink of Bros or Rogan or something like that, you might not know these stories ever exist. And then you'll see people like yourself, Mac, walking around through the grocery store or whatever in real life, and they have no fucking idea the hell you went through. And they just think, ah, it's just some dude who looks like he was at J6. You know, yeah. it was the Capitol building <laughs> that day. And they have no fucking idea the crazy hell you went through and the miracle it is that you're actually alive today. Yeah, man. Um, you know, like, like Ben said, dude, what, it, what was so hard about this thing, and I think what is awesome about the book is he talks about the train up, you know, leading to deployment because we originally told we were going to go to Iraq and then, you know, we wound up going <clears throat> to Afghanistan. But as a first sergeant, me and my company commander, we push dudes to be freaking meat eaters, man. You know, like... Mm -hmm. Your job is to close with and destroy the damn enemy. That's it. You're not there to hug and kiss and be nice. You're there to kill bad guys and come home and take ground. And then you get in this situation that you never expected you would be in as far as like the fight. You know, like the you go from all these infantry tactics that you know to having to figure out on the battlefield that, okay, we normally have to be spread out like this. Mm -hmm. But now we got to walk in a file out in this open area because if we don't, it's going to be three dudes to get hit instead of one and shit like that, man. And then, you know, when you're going out and you're that kid that's going out the gate and every day you're walking out, you're like, am I going to be the dude losing a leg today? Yeah. You know, but you're still fucking doing it because your brothers are there, you know? And, uh, mm -hmm. but, but at the same time, when it's all said and done and so many guys are missing pieces and all this stuff and you didn't get the retribution, you know, the, the, you didn't see the BDA on the bad guy, you know? I mean, that just, it just, it weighs on you, man. And like, you know, like you said about the, the stories of, of guys who go downrange, you know, guys and, you know, men and women now yeah. that go downrange, but the, to tell the stories in a way that is, that keeps your attention, right? So it's not some like boring history mm -hmm. book. So it breaks down the, uh, you know, what I try to do in the book is break down the story. So it mm -hmm. keeps your attention. You tell the stories and you, uh, if you, know, if you're a civilian, you can understand a little more of what these guys went through every day. Yeah. I don't think people have, uh, regardless of all the conversation that have been had about, uh, veteran transition back, either from combat or out of the military entirely. I don't think a whole lot of conversations have been had around the idea that I was on patrol on fucking Thursday and on Sunday I was walking around Fort Bragg and with my car, with my fucking gun. Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a couple yep. of day period there. And to be honest, soldiers would be really fucking pissed off if you just kept them there for a month or two to get them back into fucking human being shape. Oh, but yeah. it, but it, it might it might be the thing to do to be honest because what usually happens in that first two week period after deployment's over is we all go get arrested yeah, or that, fucking kill ourselves or do some other stupid shit and, and like I think that uh, most uh, you know most civilians who have never been there don't understand like like the, the army isn't made up of dudes who stay in the same unit all the time yeah. and like nope. you deploy and you come home and like you live in some like barracks all the time mm -hmm. and never go anywhere like like you said you get back from deployment and like literally you get off the bus mm. you check in you, all your stuff make Turn sure in your no, nods and all your make sure nobody lost yeah. their freaking rifle yeah. and then everybody leaves and go on uh, goes Sign on your deployment risk or, assessment for the weekend you yeah. know yeah and then I'm they go gonna, off and do know. their own thing and yeah. then and then the units split up and like that's that's a tough thing for mm. a lot of folks who've been in uh have been in the service yeah. right is to like uh lose that camaraderie immediately after coming back well, from just a crazy place like the argandab yeah, yeah well to go with that man like 
for example, like me, I came back to the same unit that Wait, I was Wait, were you with. just going to say to piggyback on what the captain just no, said? No, I didn't say piggyback. <laughs> Notice I didn't say that. Like I said, I'm not an officer, you know. But, uh, but you but are no, a gentleman. Like, yeah, I am a gentleman. You are a gentleman. <laughs> Only a gentleman's got this haircut. Man. That's true. <laughs> but, uh, but no, man, I came back to the same unit, you know, a couple years later. After deployment, I got promoted to Sergeant Major. I left, went to 10th Mountain. But I came back as a Command Sergeant Major to the same unit. And... There was maybe 10% of the battalion that was still there from this deployment. And every one of those guys were in some kind of trouble. And the reason being was because, you know, I had first sergeants and everybody I'm talking to. And I'm like, why the hell is this going on with this kid? I know him, man. You know, I knew him when he was a private. I knew him when he was a specialist. What the hell is going on? So I pull him in my office and every single one of them were like, everybody left. And I like... I don't know anybody here, but I don't even, they don't, they have no clue what we went through. They don't give a shit, you know, and, and it's not that they don't give a shit. They just don't know, you know, and they don't know the history. And, and that's why, you know, the way Ben does with this book, like, for example, my wife just finished reading it and, uh, I've never hardly talked about any deployments or anything with her, you know, with all the crap I've been through. And, in, intentionally? Uh, Let me ask in, you that. Intentionally. Okay. Cause because you, you think it would bother her? Or you just don't want to talk about it? Well, not not so much that I don't want to talk about it. I just never wanted to put her in that place, you know, her or my kids. Because back in the day, they had to visit me and Walter Reed for months and stuff like that. And then, you know, I kept deploying. But she was able to sit down and read something that's unfiltered, that's real, and, you know, talks about me and the guys. And, I mean, the book doesn't shed a, you know, that I'm not a nice guy in the book because I was the first art. Mm-hmm. But she knows that's because I cared. But she also knows that the reason, you know, I'm close with all my guys throughout my career. You know, we got, we try to stay that, but these guys, everything I can do to bring them together, I do because like I've been through hell. Like I said, we've been on all these deployments, but unless you were in this place in that fight, like you got no clue, man. And like for my wife to read it and tell me, now I know why you were so messed up when you got ready to retire. Mm-hmm. You know, like it took me about a year after I retired to finally start facing crap, mm-hmm. but I was messed up, man. And it's also difficult to contextualize this stuff for somebody yeah. that's never experienced it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's different. Like we, it's it's different than any other thing that most people are ever going to experience in their life. Because you know, if you think it's just talking about PTS, PTSD, whatever the fuck you want to call it, if. And the very first counselors that the military contracted for it were teenage rape counselors, right? Because it's like a traumatic event caused this. It's a very uh, reductive and misunderstood, or I'm sorry, it's reductive and it misunderstands what post-traumatic stress really is. But the stuff that most dudes like this, myself, deal with is prolonged exposure to extreme levels of stress. Like your amygdala gets fucked up. Everything looks like a threat. Like your brain is just a very sophisticated machine that distinguishes between threats and benefits ultimately and when that gets fucked up everything in your life gets fucked up it's like your hormones being bad or not getting good sleep Mm -hmm. those are things that contribute to every other fucking psychological condition you're going to have it's hard to explain to somebody it wasn't just because in the movies it's portrayed as oh i just saw my buddy dying from me so i'm fucked up for the rest of my life but that's not what it is it's being on switched on 100 percent of the time yeah so i i say that there's um one thing we have to move past as like a culture right and also i mean as as veterans too um as veterans uh, of conflict is we got to move past the template 
the, the template or the stereotype of a yep. veteran story, right? So, you know, nice young guy or gal comes out of, you know, their small hometown, then they go to the, go to the army, they go to combat, they see a bunch of bad crap. Then they come home and they're broken and that's that, right? Like yeah. that's the template. That, yeah. That's like what we're, what we're made to understood, uh, to understand is like what happens when you come home, but that's not it. Like, mm. and talking about, you know, you said post-traumatic stress. Mm. You didn't say P, you know, you didn't say PTSD, right? You said right. post-traumatic stress because yep. that stress can, I mean, you can, it can lead to growth mm. also, right? Well, I mean, that's what stress stress uh, uh uh navigated properly does lead to growth yeah. whether it's a good diet learning new things stressing your muscles i mean that's how it works right yeah iron sharpens iron that's what we believe <clears throat> and when when men and women come home from combat mm. right like that the stresses that they've experienced if that if it's directed in the right way right and we and we know how to handle mm. that stuff it should be seen as a unique skill yeah not, yeah. not a detriment yeah. it's yeah. just life man you know like yeah. when, you know everybody's had a family member like mom or dad or somebody you know god forbid dies that's mm. a, that's a that's a traumatic experience mm. right but that's life everybody goes through it and we learn how yeah. to like harness it and deal with it because mm. like a, a, a family member death is a part of normal mm. life right yeah, whereas yeah. war brings something extraordinary yeah, yeah. that we, we should never have to experience and, and so, the ability to stay calm and get basic tasks done yeah. when when it's chaotic is a really important skill to have especially like in f- internal family trauma and stuff like that it's ex- exceptionally important because i've seen and and i'm sure you have as well plenty of <clears throat> wives of newly dead husbands that have no fucking clue what to do you know what i mean they have yeah. no idea where to go for what information or how to do the funeral how to take care of the kids now and all this other stuff even if they did have a plan a lot of these people just can't operate in that kind of circumstance no because they've never been faced with that kind of mm. that kind of stress and you know like like uh it's you know it's cool we're talking about this because like i was that guy you know after i retired if you're a damn pack clerk and you're living on calf, you know, I was like, you're not, you don't deal with the same kind of crap I dealt with, you know, all that crap. But at the end of the day, it's not about, it's about being switched on a hundred. It's about perspective, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I thought, uh, in generation kill, they did a really good job explaining this, <clears throat> um, the concept of relative safety, mm-hmm. uh, where scars guards character, Brad, I, Iceman is talking to the fucking reporter and he goes, yeah, safety is all, it's like funny how relative it is because back home in like a shitty neighborhood, you might not feel safe, but here you are in a war zone and behind this tire and cover right now, you feel relatively safe, right? It's very bizarre. So somebody that's sitting in a fucking office getting mortared every day, that's worse for them than anything they've ever done in their exactly. life. It doesn't mean like, it, we're, we're going to talk shit. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, we I'll got talk to. shit until the fucking day I die. I, I mean, you, as an infantryman, I have to, that's yeah. your I, God-given I, right. I'm a goddamn paratrooper. I have to talk but shit. But at the end of the day, when you finally do get to that point to where you understand it, yeah, like yeah. you get, okay, everybody's got a role to play, and then everybody has different stressors, and everybody's yeah. safety is different. You know, like we're trained to go out there and kick in doors and do this crap. And then I always this- felt bad for the fucking log pack people who are driving oh, yeah. around. They have no idea how to defend themselves no. in a meaningful way. And they're, no they're the ones out there every day yeah. on the road. You know, I like- think you tell a story about one of the guys that was in Bravo company. That was a, 
a mechanic before, and then yeah, he moved yeah. over to the uh, infantry. Jay. Yeah, Jay, yeah, Sar- right, Sergeant, yeah. Sergeant Jay. Yeah. I mean, he uh, he went back to fucking basic training. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sucks, dude. Yeah, you're, you, a, you're I mean, a sergeant. You go back a to sergeant, boot- man. Yeah. Anybody's been in be like sergeant going back to boot camp? No, yeah. or, like, whatever. No, man. And he went. Yeah, you go back to what, we had a guy AIT like that too, Donlin. Yeah. One of our guys, Patrick Donlin. You remember him, right? He was in. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, remember, you know, like, with these guys, it's funny. Like him, when he showed up to me, I'm like, oh, shit. This dude was a mechanic, (laughs) and now I got to, you know, I got to put him in a team leader position? Like, what the hell? Well, Donlin was one of our cooks, and just, like, he was like, yeah, this is stupid. I'm just going to start going out on, like, when... Bravo, when uh, uh, 2325 was in Mosul and shit, he would just go out on patrol with the infantry guys. They're like, you know what? Just go get your fucking infantry shit because you're not going to cook. Come on. Yeah, I'm just going to go do. I mean, I'm doing it anyway. Yeah, Seagal was well. a cook. Steven yeah, he Seagal was. was hey, a Casey Ryback. Casey yeah. Ryback. Yeah. That's post Navy SEAL time, though. I don't know yeah. if you can count that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Seagal actually killed people. So. <laughs> yeah. I hate to say it. He, he's killing himself with diabetes right now. Ah, right? he's oh, fine. Yeah. You can say see that, him training all over face. the world. Exactly, I will say that dude. to his face. But he, yeah. you know, he's developed a new fighting style where he only sits down. Have you have you seen this? I'm not, I'm not even kidding. By the way, you know that, that's the <laughs> acting style too. So he won't all the movies oh, yeah. he's doing. He will not stand. So he sits and they make him shoot from wherever he is and so, uh, just do like monologues, yeah, like it, whiskey yep. commercials. And so or? they'll they'll put a no. These are action movies. In. Action movies. Yep. They're like yeah, Russian. Look at Russian. Amazon. There's like a million. Oh, there's a million. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know how I missed this. They're this all funded by the Russian mob. Like, not even kidding. It's so Russia it's so and China. fucking bizarre. Yep. They bizarre, fucking yeah. love them for some yeah. reason. The Russian um, chair industry is funding it. See. Yeah. They're trying to get. They don't like that. Uh. Fucking. Uh, uh, Scandinavia is trying to join NATO, so they're going after fucking IKEA big time. That's the move. That's right? the move. Uh, for you, Mac, though, um, I always think about this when, whenever a military book uh, or somebody who's written one comes on the show is when you go through something as horrific as you went through, is it difficult sitting down with somebody and then going back through all these memories over and over and over again? Yeah. Because it's not just the first pass, it's all the edits too of like, hey, dude. Well, there was this one guy or this one yep. guy, and, and well, you, you lost it, limbs. You did it with Matt. I, his I did, and yeah. it was it was really hard. And I, there was some things that I didn't think that I I got. And it was kind of the heads up I gave Nick before yeah. he was working on Tim Kennedy's book, where yeah. I go, look, these guys aren't going to want to tell these fucking stories, and you're going to have to ask over and over yep. and over again, and then you'll finally get it. But it's going to be forty hours later. It's not going to be on the first night for sure. Well, the stuff that's meaningful and relevant to the outside audience might not necessarily be meaningful and relevant to me yeah because exactly. that's the, that's my everyday life that's yes banal for but you have to phrase, print right? it for yeah. everybody else otherwise yeah. it's just an inside baseball well that's one of the actually one of the comments i got this morning for somebody who immediately went out and got the audiobook was that they really appreciated how you didn't just lean on institutional terminology like yeah. you actually explained not just what the acronym said, but what it meant really meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. or if, or if you use an acronym, like sometimes I use an acronym, but mm-hmm. it's like you use the acronym for like the sake of the acronym to show yeah. that it's being. It's like yeah. it's supposed to be like inside baseball for that hot second yeah, in yeah. the book, but like yeah, there's I mean there's no reason to shut people out of learning about this stuff just because you know you want to yeah you know when you want to tell your story and like make sure to close yeah. everybody else out no, it's yeah like, you you want the book to be for the world but for you what was it like reliving all these memories well i mean for me it was some of the things were like ridiculously hard uh, ben knows that but uh because three guys were killed yeah three guys were killed we had 11 amputees um was it 40, 40%, 45% of the company yeah, at yeah, Purple Hearts? Coming up on 50%. Yeah. For- um, and, uh, you know, for me, 
I really went through a lot after I got out and people think it's because I was wounded or this or that. And what it was, was I came back to two fury as a CSM and what I had never, what I was able to do for all those years after Oh nine ten is lock that back in. But when I came back as two fury nine, then all of a sudden I'm doing all American <coughs> week and all yeah. these things and I'm having to re-engage gold star families and all. So I had to face some things that, I wasn't ready for. And then, like I said, man, about a year after I got out, I finally, you know, I went and saw somebody because of one of my best buddies, Cavazos, told me I needed to. And when Cavazos says you need to. Seriously, that's the hardest motherfucker on earth right there. Yeah. You know, he's like, Mac, you need to go fucking talk to somebody, dude. So I did. And I, you know, I was able to face some of the things, but what I loved about the process with Ben and then, uh, you know, just talking to him story-wise was it wasn't so much me telling the stories as him calling me up and saying hey man this is what i'm getting for this guy what do you remember about this what do you remember about that you know because Mm -hmm. you know obviously i had a different perspective on things but at the same time i was able to hear things from the guys that i'd never heard before and in some ways you know it it, some of it took a load off of me you know and uh and you know when you're that when you're that guy the the freaking the guy that's just hammering dudes every freaking day and the guy that's pushing them and responsible for them all to be at a point now to where they're like, that dude was an asshole, but he was there when this happened, you know, and this and that, and we know why now, mm-hmm. but this is the, and then, he, you know, for him to say, Mac, do you remember this when you were out there, you know, like with Johnson or such and such, like it was, for me, it was almost like a, uh, a memory card was put back in my head and memories were coming back yeah. that I had like, just kind of lock back, man. Well, that's if that the makes weird. sense. Mem- memory, you know? memory is notoriously bad. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, we, I, don't, we don't actually remember things. We remember our idea of what happened. Yeah, right? well, it, but it was hard, man. It was really hard. I talk mm-hmm. about that in the book. Is like memory is this is this it's this weird thing, right? Yeah. Like the moment something happens, I have this like locked in adamantine mm-hmm. like perfect picture of it or something that's never going to change um but it does it like slowly changes over time it either erodes or builds in this weird way or that picture that you had locked in your head at the time was wrong or or, yep. or somehow you so know, poli- errant, police right? police consider eyewitness testimony to be about 33 percent accurate 33 to 34 percent accurate which mm-hmm. is not this is like immediate so they usually run into somebody as a witness immediately after the fact they immediately ask them a question so they've done studies on this where they'll have 200 people witness the same thing and then they'll ask them questions like well, how tall is the person what was their race what what kind of hair color they have what were they wearing shit mm-hmm. like that and then what then the action stuff what happened what actually happened it is very disparate mm-hmm. so that's happening in real time imagine like you you start to layer uh uh you know levels of trauma or you know it's not even i don't even know if i would necessarily call it trauma it's just i got shit to fucking do i don't have time to think about this right now no you don't you know what i mean like you gotta keep pushing man. there's there's this old phrase uh trample the weak hurdle the dead right it's an old native uh american phrase and it isn't disrespectful it's like hey man you got to get the fuck out of the way because i got shit to do there's people to murder right over there i don't have time for this but you know we internalize it that's the problem and at no point in between deployments do we ever take any time to decompress and address that even today like no. that still is not a thing yeah. that happens. Well, I mean, look, if you look at the last 10 years, uh, two, two more guys have uh, committed suicide, correct? Um, from your, your unit as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and uh, what, over a dozen have, have 
at least yeah, attempted. have said that you've thought you know, about it or um, whatever. Um, now, what I will tell you, um, and I've told a lot of these guys, is uh, like I said, when I started facing stuff, when we're talking about the memory piece, mm-hmm. um, I went to see this psychologist, and the first thing I said when I went in there was, was like, there ain't shit wrong with me. I'm just stressed out because I retired, and you know, my wife and my best friend want me to come in, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm not bullshitting you. You know, I'm a dude that don't cry and shit. An hour into it, I was bawling my eyes out. And she told me something that day that, like, nobody had ever said it to me that way. She was like, you came here today for your friend and your wife. But I want you to come back next week only if you come for you. If you want to come for you. And uh, and I almost didn't go back. And then, uh, because, like, ultimately, dude, I was scared. Because I didn't want to deal with all that shit. I didn't have time, you know. And um, But anyway... What she did was, and, you know, we only worked through a couple of things through therapy, so it helped me kind of deal with stuff, but it was called immersion therapy, and basically it was the same thing as, like, Ben writing this book. Mm. You know, she pulled out some shit that I really, like, it weighed heavy on me that, like you said, man, because of the mission, I locked that shit back in, and I kept going. So, but every time I would either write it, or tell it in this microphone. Yeah, that's and then one of she the- would play it back to me every single time. I would add a new detail, mm-hmm. you know, because the memories were starting to come back. But it's it, and it was powerful, man. Mm-hmm. It made me kind of be able to. I was able to rationalize the the event on my terms, not on its terms. Well, you know what the real powerful sense. thing would be. Now that is good individually, and we talk about like so. Uh, Sarah runs Operas, yeah. which is they they'll take a military unit that's been particularly hit. And bring them all back together after the fact, right? But I think something that might be really interesting is looking back at all the fucking fifteen sixes and seeing how we wrote those incidents up, or having yeah. multiple people in a group write about the same incident and get each other's perspective, because that's usually where the good stuff happens. Yeah, right? exactly. And I mean, one one thing about um, about the reunion these mm-hmm. guys had, right? Like, there's reunions all the time. This is how but, you got involved and wrote the book. In the yeah, first so, place, so right? I wrote the book originally as a as a newspaper right. article um, for their for their original <laughs> reunion, and you know, reunions happen all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And just like anybody who's been in the military knows, you get like three three dudes together um, in a room and they just start telling the same old war stories yeah. Yeah. from start to finish. It's like they push play and brr, it goes, uh, or they tell the same old dick jokes mm-hmm. or whatever, right? But the the reunion that they had was consciously um, like staffed by VA folks yeah. so that when one of those war stories started getting replayed yet again, like on an eight track, right? It was like, okay, let's break that down. Let's talk about it. And I think that's, um, you know, yeah. we, we asked Mac about telling, telling stories and like, what was it like to, to work through interviews? I mean, you guys, you guys interview people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah. know, if you just say, oh, hey, talk for 45 minutes, that's going to, that's going to. I gonna, sure can. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you about <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, and no, I bet you can, man. Yeah, and yeah, like, no, and you're going to yeah, think it's yeah. the, it's the, it's sweet as honey, right? Because yeah. it's your story. But if you're interviewing somebody, you want to really get something out of them. You, as that story's going, you stop it, you rewind it, you go this way with it, you go that mm-hmm. way with it, and you you start to like pull parts of it out that they don't even know existed, right? Mm-hmm. Because yep. what they've done is they've locked that memory into into uh, you know into their story, and they tell mm-hmm. that story. But it's like, oh, what was that like? How was it? yeah? And like, give me a detail. What color was that thing? What yeah. did that smell like? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, uh, Nick, you had something to say. Palmashana, I, I did not. A minute ago, oh. you were acting like you had something to say. I mean, there there have been a few times where I've had something to say. For example, uh, Steven Seagal a- has reached out <laughs> oh, to me. Boy. Here we go. Ha- boy. Has, has We've reached- got his phone number. Steven Seagal live on air. Steven Seagal has reached out to me and asked to be the main villain 
in uh, uh, range 15 too. Is that so, true or false? That is true. That, okay. that really happened. Okay, so... When did it happen? Because, so we were doing a show in LA in 2019, and we yes. we were doing a show with the Scalar Brothers, the comedians, if you're yep, familiar yep. with them, and one of them started telling the story about Steven Seagal, and we are like, wait a minute, we've got Steven Seagal's phone number, let's call this motherfucker. So I, I called him, because yeah. it's, it's still on my phone, I called him live on air, and uh, dude, he was not, not amped. Not if that I fucking called. Really? Yeah, I'm not hey. sure he takes hey. personal phone calls. Hey. Well, he was fired up. He's he's DM'd me. Uh, he thought Range 15 was was awesome, and Is, he, he wants <laughs> he wants to be the bad guy in Range 15. So, well, so, so here's what we've happened. Got, we've got a standing clause in, in our fucking movie contracts. I think well, you he, have to stand up at some point. Yeah, you got to stand up at some point. <laughs> but, standing standing yeah, clause. Yeah, standing, but standing I will clause, say yeah. this for the audience: we actually did ask him to be in the film uh, originally, yep. and he was shooting over in China. And we thought it would be really, really fucking funny, mm-hmm. which it would have been. Um, and uh, he was shooting a movie in China, and I chatted with him uh, then. And then, yeah, I called him back three years later live on air, and he wasn't stoked. But uh, yeah, he didn't want to be in the movie, and that was him. real. You but, didn't keep up with him. You didn't but, nurture the relationship. But I, I, do, wanna, the, uh, I do want to say something about, about yeah. Bravo Company. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, you know, Kesling, I don't know what it is. He's usually a very interesting guy, but he put the jacket on, and all of a sudden, he's very serious. <laughs> it's British. They're so fucking he's, serious. Yeah. yeah. Like, you yeah. know, he's kind of got a, a Fred Flintstone thing going today, too. <laughs> uh, but uh, the book is awesome because most... Most books end, you know, with like the the battles over. Everyone goes home. You have that Gene Vandenham moment. You know, the sun is in the horizon. Like everyone's like really pensive and thinking about it. But then it keeps going, and you're like, oh fuck. And it's it, there's the the impact of the war. And I yeah. I don't know that I've read another book that really does that. Um, that really continues and it it gets uncomfortable yeah it gets yeah, painful yeah. um it gets painful for i bet for the civilian audience yeah. because they haven't been faced with that information before like no. you haven't you haven't lived a couple of years with a person it's almost like being a sniper you sit there and watch that motherfucker all day for 24 hours a day for four or five days and you put a bullet in his fucking brain and it's different when you when you experience a timeline for some human being, and then you see the aftermath of it. It makes it extremely different for you. Well, I, I think what also is uh, uh, super fascinating because I think you're one of the first we've had on since the Afghanistan pullouts is seeing all of that happen and watching it unfold on TV, and then obviously Nick's movie with with Save Me and everything else. Do you look back at this and are you angry that you were even over there in the fucking first place? Not at all. Like, uh, when we did the pullout, you know, like, obviously I was ang- angry at the head shit, mm-hmm. you know, but like I told guys, I never signed up in the military and most of the paratroopers that served with me never signed up for anything other than to go with their buddies and close with and destroy the damn enemy. Yeah. And we went in and every mission we were given, we accomplished. And, uh, like to me, we were a hundred, a hundred percent effective. You know, we had some hella fights like the Dob. But we won those fights, you know, sometimes at a heavy cost. But at the end of the day, as a as a war fighter, it's not about the politics. We know we don't, you know, war fighters don't win wars. We win battles and we take ground. And then, hell, I've been in places, I'm sh- I know Dan has, mm-hmm. in Iraq, where we've had to take the <laughs> same place two, three times over again because somebody couldn't figure out what the hell they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I've, I had guys hit me up a lot when that happened, like, 
was it worth it? Yeah. Was it this? And I tell them every single one of them, 110% it was worth it. Because one, we were with the best human beings on the planet, which is American paratroopers or soldiers or, you know, any, any military that we have is far better than anybody else out there. And then two, you know, we kept the wolf at bay for 20 years. Like my, my family was safe here. You know, since September 11, what happened here? Nothing. Because we were over there bringing the fight to them. But now, you know, we're not doing that. But at the end of the day, that's not on us, man. I mean, you know, we, we knew anybody that's, that knows any history of Afghanistan knows that, you know, to win that war, it's going to take a lot longer than 20 years or you're either just going to have to own the country. Well, I mean, you, know? they, you don't win that war. No, you don't. It's that, just it's, like like Thailand is the only country in Asia that never got taken over by anybody, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And Afghanistan will never be taken over by anybody else. I, I, yeah, I don't dispute that at all. But but at the end of the day, that's not – I don't give a shit, mm-hmm. man. To me, it was like I'm there with my boys to close with and destroy the enemy and do a job and do it well and bring everybody home to the best of our ability. and. And what I told guys, I'm like, if you know in your heart that every day you went out there and brought it, then the only thing you got is to be proud of what you've done. You didn't fail shit. Um, I actually, I uh, kind of went off on a general. I'm not going to say his name. He didn't know he had a retired sergeant major out in his crowd. Mm-hmm. But a guy, this was an event I did. A guy asked him because he was a guest speaker. And this was right after that. He's like, well, what would you tell the soldiers, you know? And what he kept saying was, well, we failed, we failed, we failed. And I stood up. I was like, we didn't fail shit, sir. You did. You know, the soldiers out there, I was like, what you need to be telling these guys is, hey, you did what you were asked to do. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know, and that's the problem is these, these senior leaders are not, they're not stepping up and saying, hey, man, you did your fucking job. You know, be proud of it. You know, and now you're still here. So bring those guys back in and then. And then one more step to that, man. Well, hang on. What was his response? Oh, he, his response was, well, first off, I didn't know you were a sergeant major. Secondly, uh, I, I told him straight up, I was like, you know, he was like, well, what about the people of Afghanistan? We failed them. I'm like, well, you might have failed them, sir. I didn't fail shit. Mm-hmm. I was like, because nowhere in my mission statement was I there to fight for the people of Afghanistan. I said, now, on a strategic level, yes, you know, but... The we is you, not us. Right. You're, and, you're just performing yeah. the act itself with somebody, the orders that you've been given. Yeah, exactly. So you, you failed everybody by enacting that. And if you had a different plan, you should have fucking done it, right? Yeah, exactly. But well, at the end of the day, don't, it's not a we thing. Like, it should be you did your job, kid. You know, you signed up when other people wouldn't. Yeah. If, you're, <clears throat> if you're in that top 1% or 3%. Be proud of that. Well, shit, surprise, man. this is this is conversation is how you know there's no uh, legit leadership in the military or political brass in America anymore because wins are us and losses are me when you're a fucking leader, right? You eat last. Mm-hmm. Every yep. loss is mine and every win is ours. That's how Absolutely. it fucking works. That's the only way it works, actually. Yep. Because that's all those guys have. Like they can tag you you can talk about strategy and execution all you want. But all the guys that actually do the fighting care about is how is that, right? That that whether we won or whether we lost, you never show them a loss, no matter how bad it is, if you're a fucking good leader. So why are people talking like that? Because they're fucking cowards. Because they're fucking cowards. They're not owning it. You know, I got a saying, you're either a me guy or a we guy. Mm-hmm. And those mm-hmm. guys are me guys. And, you know, uh, 
you know, some of us when we get when we got to those levels, we saw these type of things, man. But but it's you know what we have to show these guys, and I'm telling you from an old dude. You know, I only did 25 years, but I'm a retired CSM out of the fucking brag. Dan will tell you I was an asshole because I gave a shit, you know. But at the same time, if we were fucked up, I owned it, you know. Any decision that was made in this book for our guys to go out and when we got hit, myself and my commander owned it, you know. That was our decision. If guys ask me why, because I fucking said so. Not because it, I wouldn't say because the commander said so or whatever. And it's – and. And when you get to those those levels like that, it's like, dude, just own the shit. Say we fucked up, you know. It's and because let these they, guys know they did their job. There's no honor in in those classes, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. it, it is a matter of, um, again, yeah, res- uh, accepting responsibility is part of it, but knowing your role. So, outside of the strategic, your role as a leader in the military is to make sure your people are prepared, right? Not just prepared to fight but prepared to deal with the fight we would never treat our weapons the way we treat our soldiers we would never fucking take a faulty weapon into combat before fixing it first right hey guys real quick uh and i hate to interrupt a show like this um but we do have some sponsors that keep us on the air and keep the lights on first and foremost is ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros Get a mattress, get a nice mattress and an adjustable base, and join us for the live show on YouTube November 8th for the midterms. You can uh, go all the way up in that thing on the remote control if you hit uh, book mode or TV mode. It's two different settings, but it's nice. It's got head-to-toe vibration in it. It's 40% off when you bundle that with a mattress, adjustable base and a mattress. Boom, you're good to go. They also have split kings there. So let's say you want to watch TV, but your wife wants to sleep or vice versa. Comes with two different remotes on that, and they offer that option. Now, if you want a mattress, uh, you can get 30% off that and two free luxury pillows right now. Or you can type in the promo code Drinking Bros and get 30% off everything in the entire store. So let's say you already have a mattress. Maybe you want just an adjustable base. Or you have a mattress and you want some sheets or a cover or a weighted blanket. 30% off when you type in the promo code Drinking Bros at checkout and you're good to go off of everything you put in there. That's all your items. 30% off with the promo code Drinking Bros at checkout. And at the bottom of the page, you're going to see a 60 month pay as you go program. No interest as long as you have decent credits and all the deals that I mentioned are applicable with that. Therefore, it allows you the customer to walk out of there with a brand new bedroom set for about 25 bucks a month head on over to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros today next up our episode is also brought to you by eurooptic.com for over 20 years eurooptic has been supplying premium optics firearms hunting apparel and outdoor gear to individuals around the world Eurooptic is a veteran-owned company based in Montoursville, Pennsylvania, and their dedicated team of customer service and sales reps are composed of hunters, shooters, and outdoor enthusiasts, all with firsthand knowledge of the gear they offer. And if you're familiar with Eurooptic, then you already know they have the fastest shipping 
faster than anybody else with their red shipping. You will get your purchase shipped the same day, and it'll be on your doorstep in one to two days for free. That's right. It is for free. Just look for the red logo on most of their optics and gear, and if it's there, you will get shipping for free in one to two days. And just in time for deer season, EuroOptic is offering our listeners a discount on Vortex products for the month of October. Uh, use code DB10 to save 10% on all regular priced Vortex products. EuroOptic and Vortex are supporting us. So we ask you to support them. Uh, or at least let them know you're listening by heading over to eurooptic.com slash drinking bros. That is E U R O O P I T I C dot com slash drinking bros today. Next up, we get hardafseltzer.com. We are live in Florida as of right now. So if you're a bar owner, you own a restaurant, a convenience store, wherever you, you serve booze there. All you have to do is call Sunshine uh, Distribution there in the great state of Florida, and they'll hook you up with some cases. Uh, not only that, but it helps get our product out to the world. Uh, we are also live in 100 stores in Tennessee right now, and we've got a real fancy store locator on hardafseltzer.com. Type in your zip code or whatever city you're in, and Google Maps will take you exactly to where you are in that car at that moment to the closest store near you. Uh, so go to hardafseltzer.com today and uh, and find a 12-pack right now. We'll be back uh, online tomorrow, uh, and we ship to 41 states at hardafseltzer.com. Uh, every order that is shipped to your house goes back into opening up a new state. Right now, Tennessee and Florida are live to the public at regular price. Just walk into your favorite store and buy a 12-pack, same as you would with any other fucking booze out there. Uh, last but not least, go to drinkingbros.com, click on the store, get some merch. Uh, it helps. And not only helps uh, advertise the show, but uh, it's comfortable and it's nice, damn it. It's getting chilly out there, and I can finally say that in Texas. Finally, uh, the sport tech hoodies that we offer in the store are my favorite fucking hoodies I've ever had in my entire life. Black on black, get some drinking bros hoodies in there, some long sleeves, buckle in for fall and winter right now at drinkingbros.com. Click on the store and don't sleep on that glassware. I'm a big fan of our glassware. I got a ton of it around the house. Some say too much, damn it, but I don't care. I'm prepared. All right. Go to drinkingbros.com today and click on the store and support the show i mean that that's the yep. case. that's not just that's not just military that's just leadership right yeah, that's and, leadership, yep. leadership exactly. in any in any organization right like you own the decisions exactly. and empower those those <clears throat> the men and women underneath you right but like you said like preparing preparing people to go to war and come back i mean that's that's a uh, that's a hard <laughs> that's a very hard thing yep. to do right like it is and owning it yeah you know but like i mean how you know how do you do that like when when uh, Matt comes in as a as a seventeen year old as recruiter's office, mm-hmm. he doesn't sit down, and the recruiter's not like, "All right, we're gonna get you ready to go to war," and then I'm gonna explain your VA benefits right now before uh, before we send you to boot camp. Like, oh, yeah. and it's and it becomes a very difficult thing to like, oh well, how do wh- when do we prepare for people to get out? Like, and the I think that you know I'm not telling tales out of school. The the yeah. military 
has has some work to do on well, preparing people to get out. But the work isn't going to get done because there's no motivation to get it done, right? I don't think so. I, it, there's no incentive. The, no, these, nope. these, these motherfuckers care about the next promotion. I don't give a fuck what any of these guys say about I yep. care about the fucking the guys and all that stuff. I don't believe one of them because I've never seen one of them actually put it on the line. When it's like this Afghan pullout, Millie and all of his fucking people and every fucking piece of brass, including the 82nd Airborne, the commander of the brigade that was there on the fucking field, everything executional or execution wise and tactical wise was fucked up. You don't ever pull your fucking air superiority before you get your people out. Nobody would agree to that. So why did fucking Lloyd Austin and Millie let that happen in the fucking first place? Because they have no fucking spine. That's what happened. And they didn't care. And they, well, no, they care. I, I mean, to be As a fair, human being, they st- care, but there's, there's no fucking spine no, there. No. You, you fucking... Nah, nah. The State Department didn't pull Bagram Air Base offline. That didn't happen. The fucking DOD did that shit because the president told him to, and the DOD should have told the president to go fuck himself. And if that didn't look... How many people resigned to not keep Nixon as president? Right? Well, person after person would resign because they're like, no, I'm not doing your fucking dirty work, dick. Right, and these people have no—they're fucking cowards. Millie is a fucking coward. He knew it was wrong, and he did it anyways. Or and it cost people their fucking lives in Afghanistan. Right? Remember, he's not an operational commander, though. That's right, but he could have fucking said, "Hey," he could have gone to the press and said, "Hey, this is wrong." Yep, he could have done that. Could have resigned. There's a lot that. of things he could have done. He didn't but do shit. I do think, though, and he also lied to the fucking president of Afghanistan and said, "Oh no, we didn't do that." I do think you're fundamentally right when you talk about. You know, the, the issue is you probably have 20 years where if you did a poll and you looked at every OER from 05 up over mm. 20 years, every single one of them was like, oh, we made great progress. We, 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 did, we did a phenomenal job and uh, we're turning the corner. It sounds and like a politician. It, well, it well, is. Well, that's what well, happens. You, you have to that's be what when you get to that level. It's, the, well, the OER process is basically like writing your own resume. And, and so, like, opinion. you know, 20 years of that and, like, nobody actually is honest in saying, like, hey, this actually isn't working. We're but actually not solving. To his problem. credit, Millie did tell the Pentagon and the president that the Afghan army was probably not going to be ready for this yep. shit. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody knew that the Taliban had already taken over, like, years ago. But yeah. the, the problem for me is, truthfully, I could give a shit less about how we pulled out because I knew it was going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. My, my issue with it is the fact that we, as a nation, on a senior level, have made these kids that were over there fighting this war for 20 years feel like they failed something. And they didn't fail shit, man. And that's the important it's not, part. It's not it. just that they feel like they failed something. Most of these dudes that spend time in Afghanistan know a couple of people and their families that died as a result of this shit. Oh, probably, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. No, yeah. That's the difference. It's, a, it's at a very fucking personal level for us because yeah. that's what it all gets reduced to. Like, people don't go fight wars because... They care about uh, uh, the things that politicians say. No. They protect their family. It's Ken selection. They decide who yeah. their family is going to be. And when they get there on the ground and they've got a great Terp or a great fucking ANA guy or whomever it is in his family, that becomes their fucking family now. And it sucks just as bad to lose that person because of their incompetence than it would to lose an actual member of their family. It fucking sucks. And I mean, for <clears throat> you know, writing writing a book, I wrote about a company, which you know, that's not a very big military unit. That's a pretty small military. Hundred forty people, give yeah. or take. So, or take. And, and I wrote about a company because it was something that you could you could grab onto and get some get some sort of ground truth to like. Because these people live in an area about a third the size of this room, it's, basically, I, and and they're and, for fifteen fucking months. And where they're yeah. patrolling is yeah. like you know the size of a city our, block. Our yeah, AO right. our AO was like a total of uh, I think eight clicks square. 
you know it's so like four city blocks yeah, like it's take. small yeah. and but like figuring out <laughs> figuring out all the the machinations of the afghan yep. pullout mm-hmm. and stuff is just it's it's beyond the scope of really being able to get your hands around until yep. you have some definitive history <clears throat> so like who who knows when we're going to find out the real the real truth of what the heck you know what the hell was happening during the mm-hmm. afghanistan pullout and all the decisions that were made but like being able to write about mm-hmm. a company and like max said talk about talk about these guys at this level uh, you know i was able to do that and also at the strategic level you can actually get some traction mm-hmm. talking about that if you're willing to focus on like a small sliver mm-hmm. so like if we're looking yeah. at the afghan pullout <laughs> like oh hey why was this marine unit there why were they on the walls why whatever uh, and for me, uh, what I find interesting is twice during this conversation, you referred to yourself as an asshole in the book. Yeah. Uh, and that you were an asshole while you did that yeah. job. Well, there's now, a chapter called Mac the Hard Ass, I think. Right. So. But, but I think, because we've done this show for, I don't know, seven years at this point now. We've interviewed everybody on the planet. I don't think you can be great at your job and lead people without being an asshole. No. And that's, that's truth, man. Like, uh, you know, I did a podcast not too long ago and I said something and guys... Some of the guys in the military now told me it resonated with them. And I said, look, man, leadership, if you're doing your fucking job in a combat unit, is a lonely fucking place. And they were like, what do you mean? I was like, because if I'm in charge of you and I'm your fucking leader, I'm not your friend. Right. Because I need to make decisions from this, not this. And if I'm making decisions based off of this, I'm not any good to you. And I'm not that level-headed guy on the ground when shit hits the fan. And and somebody was like, well, you know, I don't understand that. I don't do. I'm like, look, what you have to understand is, if you're that leader, you know, you're the guy that, even though you were that kid that got yelled at for the same shit, if you see a kid walking his uniform fucks up, it's fucked up. You scuff his ass up. Well, let me ask you this: Who's the asshole? The guy that fucking stands by and pats you on the back while you jam a fucking knife into an electrical socket, or the guy who slaps it out of your hand and calls you a fucking idiot? Well, you know, you know, you know, it's funny, man. So. While we were in the Argonaut. Like we're not playing games. We got fucking war to do, yeah. man. And, it, and it's, like, it's like, dude, look, the guys that, and it, it's, I, I can tell you the greatest thing for me with all the shit that I've dealt with and, and, you know, I reached the pinnacle of where I wanted to be. I never thought I would be there and never even tried, but when I got there, this was like where I wanted to be. But to have these guys that, for lack of a better term, I mean, Ben knows I was the guy, you know, putting my boot in their ass every day telling them fucking you're walking out there you're fucking doing this you're doing that um for them to to still now want to be in my life you know and 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 know that isn't that funny how people like you and cavazos who are notorious asshole motherfuckers are the most liked after the fact well that's it should be pretty telling right yeah i mean i mean you know at at the end of the day and i'll tell you man like my last like year in the army, I was at the point to where I was so tired of being that asshole, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and what's great for me now in my life, I've been retired now for almost six years, mm-hmm. but the fact that now I can be this guy's fucking friend, mm. you know. Yeah, I can still joke around, you know. We can do the first sergeant, sergeant major shit, but I can be his fucking friend, you know. Like because at the end of the day, all I give a shit now is that. He gets out there and he lives a fucking happy life and Wait, he does it for and him. You, you, know? you can be his friend, but you're also because of that pinnacle that you've gotten to, right? And I mean, this is so important for uh, like 
every veteran out there who's been to combat to realize is like because you have the ability to open that door right and help yeah. other people through like you're going to be able to help other help, help folks because yeah, which yeah. is you're that's a responsibility now. yeah right and like, i think that's the thing that's missing from this fucking veteran suicide and depression I agree. debate. we we've talked about it on the show yesterday men who retire before like at 65 instead of 70 die at an 18 percent higher rate within 10 years Guys that uh, retired at uh, uh, 62 instead of 70, uh, it's 19% more likely that they will die within 10 years, right? So even a younger person is going to die more likely within 10 years than a person that's eight years older than them because they have no fucking purpose in their life anymore. It's meaning. Yeah. You got to make yes. meaning with your life, right? Like that, like- the purpose of life is to find the purpose for you. Whatever well, makes you super happy or super angry yeah. typically is going to be what you need to fucking address. You either fucking enjoy the happy parts or you go find a way to solve the fucked up parts. That's well, you, what it is. You know what you said, man? I, I hit this a lot with everything I'm on, man, and I throw shade at my peers. Because, all right, yeah, we were that fucking guy in the military, right? Mm-hmm. But when you get out, man, you got to now, you're that, if you were that guy, man, then now your responsibility to lead by fucking example is show them I'm just as fucked up as you are, man. Yeah. You know, like, and I'm trying to figure this shit out. But guess what? If we come in together, we can figure it out together. And that was what Operez, when, when Sarah Verardo hit me up about it, man, it was like, I was like, fuck yeah, we could do it. And then, she knew if she could get my own, my me and my old commander involved that we could get guys there. And uh, the greatest thing for me at that point in my life was the fact that I had a hundred guys. We had about a hundred guys show up, and for guys to come up to me and the commander, you know, at night drinking beers or whatever, and say, you know, this this one event, you know, I've always wondered, you know, like what the fuck happened, blah blah. And for me be, to be able to explain to them certain things because at that time this kid might have been a PFC, you know. And his his blinders are like right here. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a first sergeant minor like right here. When I'm mm-hmm. a sergeant major, you know, they're like back here. But for them to actually get a little closure and uh and you know, and ultimately you don't need operas is awesome and I'm glad they have it and I hope people check it out and try to get involved leadership out there. But you don't have to have operas. I mean, we have so many goddamn um avenues out there to stay in touch with you guys you know and i'm not saying you got to talk to them every day on the phone and shit but have a touch point man you know and uh and let them know that dude i'm still here for you and now i mean dude dudes give me shit all the time because i got earrings i got a fucking mohawk and shit and because i was the guy you know always had the fucking high and tight tight, i'm like dude i'm fucking (laughs) retired man you know like I'm not going to tuck my shirt in and be that fucking dude that comes up to you. I'm a retired command sergeant major. You know, like, who yeah. gives a fuck? That's why I'm like, the guy that shows up in a suit yeah, on a fucking podcast. Yeah, I'm not going to work guys. on you knew that, you knew that was coming down. Yeah, I can feel you preparing for that comment. But, yeah, man, we need more, like Dan said, we need more leaders uh, that really gave a shit. Well, you, you, were, you were done. We need more leaders. Right, yeah. we don't need managers. No, we need fucking leaders in leaders. this country, not just in the military, not not at any particular space. Just leaders Period. in general. We need more leaders. Yeah, people, and, and people that are willing to put it on the line. And at, I mean, for for the for the in the veteran conversation, right? It's not just retired retired command sergeant majors, right? No. Like that's not leadership. Like yeah. once you're out, man. Like if you were a PFC, yeah, 
uh, you like you may be the best leader on the planet, and like there's there's dudes in Bravo Company now, right? Yeah, that the they were they didn't have that much rank, and now they are they're helping to to shoulder the load yeah. for for, yeah. for talking to guys. But that's what you look at, you know. If if we're running, if we're doing some kind of selection process, and there's an obstacle course, uh, yeah, I'll pay attention to the fastest and strongest dudes, but I'm also paying attention to the dudes who look back after they accomplish something. To help the next guy accomplish it as Airborne. well. Airborne. Yeah, because, that's the way, it, dude. Yeah. Like, that's the most important thing. It ain't yeah. about being a spotlight ranger, man. Yeah. You know, it ain't about it ain't about you looking good, man, because ultimately, and you know this, mm. dude, to ask you, how did you get promoted to this? Because I had good fucking troops, man. Yeah. Somebody told me what to do. Yeah. Or, or I fucking did what somebody told me to do, and all my guys succeeded for me, and now yeah. I look good. That's how it works, right? So it's like, when you get to that point, but it is challenging, man. It's yeah, challenging yeah. to be that guy and be that figurehead, and then when you get out, to let that go. Well, you shouldn't let it go. That's the point, but, right? But what I'm, what I'm saying is to let that – like, for example, if I mm-hmm. got all my dudes together in the room, mm-hmm. I can't go – I don't want to go first start on them again. I want them to know I'm Mac with them, you know? Right. right. So you got to let that – like, yeah, they knew who I was. Mm-hmm. They're always going to respect me for who I was because I did my job. But at the same time, now – like I said, leading by example is bringing those guys in, letting them know that they're family and that, dude, I'm just Mac, man, you know, and I'm trying to figure shit out too. And if you need anything, I'm going to be there. I'm going to give you advice. I'm going to do this, that. But at the end of the day, I can't tell you what to fucking do anymore, mm. but I can, I can give you advice and I can say, man, look, if, you know, you need to think about this or that, but I don't want to be that guy anymore that says, look, motherfucker, you will fucking go do this because at the end of the day, for example, if you got dudes, and I learned this the hard way, that are having issues or whatever, and there's great programs out there, and you say, you need to go do this, just like Cavazos did with me. Well, I've sent dudes to programs, and they did it, but they did it for me, not themselves. And guess what happened right after the program? Mm. They killed themselves. They went right back to the same shit. Yeah, I've had 16 of my, my brothers during this war, since this war, kill themselves. Mm. Um, not from Bico, but you know, for sure. Quite, quite a few more than we've lost in combat, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, uh, I think it's an important thing, though, to talk about Operez, though. Oh and, yeah, absolutely. And what it man. Does, I mean, basically, people that go through Operez do not kill themselves. I mean, it's it's wild, um, because they they bring back the tribe. Yeah, they, they reconnect the tribe. They yeah. make that connection. And, you know, it's it's a bunch of events that are fun, but also there's professionals available mm. if you want to talk, if you don't want to talk, whatever. And the data is insane compared to, like, any other program I've seen, and I've been around the veteran community for a long time. Like, units that go through Opres do extremely well. And so, like, if you're out there watching this and, you, you know, you, you used to be a leader in a unit, or even if you weren't, like consider reaching out to the independence fund and doing mm. it because it has a profound effect on units that go yeah. through it. And if you got any questions about it, hit me up, man, because mm. like I would tell you those hundred guys, when they left Operez, like we were, we were back to being Bico again, you know, like it was like, like Ben was there. They wanted me to be first arm Mac again on stage. I'm like cussing in front of senators and shit. Mm-hmm. Cause they dudes miss that shit. And then we were just, and since then, since Operez in, in 19, Bico has stayed in touch, man. Like the guys keep those touch points, man, and that that's what's important. I mean, Dan, you said something. I thought um, I want to uh, talk. Want to want to reach back on, which is you said um, you know a lot of people are people are told to kind of forget it or drop it, right? right like yeah. and move on. Yeah. Well, that's the worst thing you can do yeah. is yep. 
is <clears throat> forget about forget about those experiences or move or try well, to move on from because they're part of you. Yeah, it's you like, can't forget that shit. It's like leaders like like Mac and the mm-hmm. the company commander for for Brian talk about this in the book, right? Is um, that they can't forgive themselves because mm-hmm. that's that's not allowed, man. No, you're not you allowed. Can't. You're not allowed to forgive yourself. You're allowed to understand why you put men in harm's way mm-hmm. in that way. Or maybe how you messed up, right? Yeah. You're allowed to understand that, and coming to self understanding is important. But if you, as soon as you forgive yourself for it, then you forget about it. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you don't feel like you owe you owe them, and anymore. you don't want to forget it. You know, yeah. you know. Ultimately, it's painful. But you know what? I, what I say is like for me, you want, but you want to be able to remember on your terms. So, you know, like like I told guys, don't let it sneak up on you. You know, own it. You because know, if you talk about it, you're going to remember it. And the more you talk about it, the less power it has over you, the more you have over it. And the more you remember it on your terms, not on its terms. And, uh, and that's, that's a lot of our problem is, and, and I will say this too, uh, you know, at least for me, I've seen a lot of guys and I've had to jerk a knot in their ass because a lot of veterans, combat vets do get out, especially when the war was raging, they got out and, you know, there's so many organizations doing all this great shit that they felt entitled. And you know what you gotta, what you have to make guys understand. And I know it sounds weird, but nobody owes you a fucking thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we all we all signed up. <clears throat> nobody made us do it. Now the people that want to help you, that's great, that's bonus. But at the end of the day, you have to freaking get out there and do you, man. Well, it's like, just not the right attitude. Yeah, right? you I can't mean, have that. We we've defined our lives through struggle and sacrifice and service of other people. And you think what you're going to flip it and become a victim all of a sudden? Yeah, it's exactly. Just, it's not a matter of whether you deserve it or not. It's a matter of it doesn't fucking work. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's, what I mean. This is this is not new. Fucking Hindi talks about this three thousand goddamn years ago, and and Gandhi quotes it. If you want to truly find yourself, lose yourself in the service of others. That's how it fucking works. Yep. That's how human civilization came to be a thing in the first place is that we need each other desperately and nobody knows that better than the american warfighter yeah right? like, so why I do mean, we continue to ignore it it dude, doesn't make sense perfect to me. Way to like it, we are our brother's keepers right mm-hmm. yeah like and we're we're all in this <laughs> like no man's an island whatever whatever the mm-hmm. uh, you know garbage mantra you want to put out there but it's true man like nobody's in this alone and the only way to have meaningful uh experiences in, in life is through through other people right whether it's the team and team you have in the military or, yep. te- or whatever yeah. you're finding, finding your purposes outside. Well, you know, you know, like, dude, like I tell dudes, it's like, it's like, uh, going into that fucking house. You just kicked in the door. If you're the number one man, that target pops up. He's your target. Mm. But if he hits you, your buddy's right behind you to support you. Same thing. If I'm a maneuver element and I'm maneuvering, I got a support by fire element up there. But at the end of the day, me as the maneuver element right there, I have to face what's in front of me. But I'm going to need help. Yeah. But I have to know that I have to face it. And, and, and one of the other big problems we have as a community is we are great at helping everybody else because, like, selfless service, all that shit. But, you know, Rudy Reyes and I, we, did, we were on a talk one day, and we, he said it best, man. He's like, you know, the other thing we have to teach young guys now is we kind of have to almost be self-centered a little bit when we transition out. And by that, you know, you have to understand that, dude, I got to do some shit for me, you know, Um, at the same time, none of us are ever going to stop being who we are. But, you know, like, like me, for example, I do what I'm at the point in my life to where if it feels good, I'm going to fucking do it. If it don't, I ain't. And I, like I tell guys, I'm like, when you get out of the military, you transition, you got to make a living, you got to have a life. But at the end of the day, 
do it till you can find something that makes you happy. And sometimes it's not a job. You know, sometimes it's doing operas, it's doing whatever. But at the end of the day, it's you have to ID something within you. And then we are all here as your brothers to still be your family and back you up on it. But I can't help you if you're not going to help yourself. And that was my problem. I mean, it's like a drug addict, yeah, right? Like yeah. You can't force somebody to go into recovery and make it meaningful. And in a lot of ways, this is uh, an analog for recovery because you're trying to retrain your brain to think like a normal fucking person and not somebody that's under constant stress of death. And because you can't have a good relationship with your wife and children or your husband and children or anybody else. If you think the way that I think in combat, it just won't fucking work. It doesn't work. And, to, and to that point, let me ask you this. When mm-hmm. you retired, was there anybody who called uh, from your unit and said, hey, I fucked up and I made uh, a mistake here and I hope it doesn't ruin the rest of your life or you think about it well, the rest of your life and it was my fault, not yours? Well, I would tell you I, uh, I did that with a guy's mom before I retired. <coughs> um, and it was because I took the unit and as a sergeant major and I had to face her as a uh, gold star mom, you know, and, um, and something I had never faced, you know, mm-hmm. and it was one of those, it's in the book when I totally just dick him down one day and I crushed his soul, man. Cause he wasn't doing what the fuck he was supposed to do. You know, and I did my job, but at the same time, the way I pushed him and the way I said things, I felt like, it was all me the reason he pushed himself out there and got hit that way because he was like, I got to show first arm. I'm still fucking number two squad leader, you know, whatever. And, uh, and you know, and I, I, well, it was actually in another time after I retired. But uh, with her, it was I started to say, <coughs> like, literally, and I, had, I couldn't even say his name at that point. And it had been. Because it hurt? Yeah, because I blamed myself so much, man. Like, um, and. She literally told me to stop and she gave me a hug and she was like, he loved you and everything you did, you had the right intentions. Even though you, if you made a bad call, guess what? You're a leader. Sometimes that happens, but you own it, don't you? And I was like, yes, ma'am. Yeah, but you got to as a leader, right? Like you've got, it's, people get this idea that like a a tough, resilient leader somehow lets the, the tragedy roll off their back like a duck and it's not true no you can't you have you have to put that face on in public but you you need to force yourself to feel every bit of anxiety every bit of pain because it keeps you from making stupid fucking mistakes like you have to come to terms with that anxiety and pain and regret and all that stuff so you make good decisions in the future just like one man is dead so am i going to let that kill three more that's the decision you have to make it's not one man's dead and now it's time for me to fucking whine and cry about it it's like there's still work to get done here well you know were you surprised at at her response yeah very man because i thought she hated me you know i did but it never it very rarely works that way no but you know but that's the way and, and ultimately that's the way i wanted her to feel you know yeah, because you, you, you in your mind, had yeah. gotten her son killed. Yeah. And losing a child is, is probably you yeah. know, the hardest thing in the world. And it was like the same thing. Right after I retired, um, I went up to Washington State because I was doing an event. And uh, one of our guys, uh, uh, Ben, read the excerpt about when, when he got killed and, uh, you know, about his dad and all. And I went up to Washington and his dad called me. And I had talked to him. You know, I sent him a letter, but I could just never face him. And that was my problem is I couldn't face these guys. And the reason his bothered me so bad was because 
when they finally made me take mid-tour leave because I didn't even want to, you know, mm. most NCOs don't, I was one of the last ones. And while the day I get home, the CEO calls me on the sat phone. Hey, we just lost, um, we just lost Joe, man, you know, and freaking, uh, but anyway, um, his dad called me while I was in Washington. He's like, you weren't going to call me. I was like, well, you know, he's like, you're going to come out to, to Joe's grave. And I was like, I, I didn't even know what to say, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, my wife was there with me and we went out with him and uh, it was the same thing. Kind of what he says in the book was he was like, as soon as we got to the gravesite, it was him and his daughter and me and my wife and he hugged me and he's like, it's not your fucking fault. He's like, the enemy has a vote, man. And, uh, you know, right there, it made me start kind of realizing that i, I got to start unloading some of this shit you know and i'm never going to forgive myself like no leader is nobody or your brothers you know you're not going to forgive yourself but you have to uh you know you have to get to the point to where like i said man like now i can say their names because i'm saying it on my terms you know mm -hmm. and, I, and 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 like you said man you're never going to not blame yourself for things especially if you're a if you're a guy that takes ownership of stuff um because Ultimately, none of us want to see anybody get killed. None of us want to see anybody lose limbs and shit like that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, man, uh, the retirement piece uh, was that's what really fucked me up because I had never really faced any of it. Like, I mean, with with Bronk's mom right before I retired, you know. But that was, but I had never because I had the mission, man. I had yeah. the guys. I had, the, you know, I had another deployment coming up, and I had this, and I had that. And, uh, yeah, man, you just got to, you you know, like I tell the guys all the time, you know, we want to be able to talk about these guys and even the bad shit, but we want to be able to talk about it on our terms because ultimately, you know, bad shit happened. Mm. But we're still here because those guys were in that situation. Like Brunk, for example, saved, you know, a squad's life when he got hit, you know, and it's, but that lives with you, man. It's a, and it's a weird thing. The, the 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 key that will unlock, like whatever, dealing with it or healing or whatever. I mean, you talk about the, that mom coming up and talking to you, totally yeah. unexpected, totally unexpected thing. Yeah, a words that I mean that that changed your trajectory, right? Yeah. And I'm sure that you have found that with talking to talking to your soldiers, right? Yeah, and like for I mean, <laughs> we never know what kind of interaction with other people is going to make them is going to make them change or yeah. allow them to, uh, you know, grow or, or, or whatever. I think that's, yeah. uh, I don't know, that's yeah. important and takeaway. It, one of it, the, yeah. One of the rough parts of life is that you can't control the outcome. You can only control no. your attitude and your effort. That's it. Right. You just have to kind of see how it happens to be honest, which is not an easy thing to do when you're carrying that kind of weight around. But the, the, the beautiful truth of life, in my opinion, is that while the weight doesn't get lighter, you do get stronger. That's how that works. That is right? true. And it's, and it's, again, I'll bring it back to what we talked about earlier, the process of going through that and becoming stronger because of that weight, you now have the responsibility to use that strength effectively in your own community, whatever it happens to be. And, if you, don't, example, and if you don't, then that says a lot about you as a person. You know what I mean? Don't call yourself a fucking leader unless you're out there in it. Yeah. Where are you at now? You know, and that's the challenge I throw to other leaders out there because in our community, there's not a lot of senior guys out there, you know, stepping up and telling these guys, hey, dude, it's okay, man. Like, I'm fucked up, too. Mm. And that's, that's important, man. We got we to gotta do that. And to all you assholes out there, it's not easy, man, but you got to fucking do it, you know. And 
Uh, the other thing, man, like with what you said there, you know, like there's an there's a part in the book where I don't know if I told you Ben or somebody else, but like I told one guy, you know, his guy got hit, mm-hmm. and I had this saying all the time, you know, I'm like, hey, fucking, what the fuck's up with you, man? I was like, you're on a fucking roller coaster right now. You ain't getting off of this bitch till it's finished. So fucking get your ass, pull security, do what you got to do till we get back to the freaking cop. And it's the same thing while you're in, you know, you can't in that, in that, I wish there was a way to, or even know how to process, um, grief and everything while you're a soldier, you know, while you're doing these things. But ultimately if you're doing your job as that guy, you can't. And then where we, where we have an, a problem and I can tell you from like a, a command sergeant major of a, you know, an airborne infantry battalion. You know, when guys transition out, like if I'm the leader that's still in, I'm taking care of him. I make sure he's got his award, mm. his NCOER's done, mm. he's got his leave and all that shit, all his CIF's done. But once he's out, guess what I'm focused on? Filling that slot, mm-hmm. mission yeah. readiness. So the transition from, and while I was in, you know, I wasn't the guy I am now. I wasn't involved with my old soldiers like I am now and all because ultimately – the mission, man, dictated that I had to focus on other things. So Yeah, and I wonder if it's even possible. I mean, we look at people. I th- can't figure out a possibility. Yeah. Think, yeah. think about Conor McGregor gets rich and happy and sucks at fighting now, right? So it's like I, I do wonder if it's even possible because this is the first generation in the history of human beings where we have had old soldiers, people that are like 35 to 45 years old that are still fighting that have – multiple years of combat experience under yep. their belt no this has never really been a thing because one life expectancy is part of it right and then right. the br- brutality of war uh and then typically the command structure for a lot of these militaries were royalty and didn't really engage in combat that much so it's new now right over the last hundred years or so and there might not be the possibility to keep a guy fucking legit for that length of time and 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 give him periods where he can go fucking decompress you might just have to keep this motherfucker tightly wound for 20 years and then do something to fucking figure it out well, you well, know, well speaking of which i mean dude you were 25 years yeah now yeah. how do you get out of that and retire and then become a normal guy where you're, you're just like well fuck that was one part of my life well what am i gonna do now there's no way to become a normal guy man i mean that ultimately right like uh you can't what i did was i did the classic retire guy thing i got out went balls to the wall just busting my ass working focusing on everything else but this and uh, like i said about a year after i got out i had to take a step back and face shit and uh you know when i finally did that and i'm still like like i tell dudes man i'm still fucked up just like everybody else is yeah but somebody that like 25 year old mom that loses her husband and kids in a fucking car crash she's never normal for the rest of her life normal the, the normal that yeah. we're talking about somebody that hasn't been significantly affected by something that will affect every single thing they do for the rest of their life so how does that person get back it, it, it's the truth you don't become normal again no because and, but nobody does like every fucking experience that you have tailors not just uh, 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 your, your brain, but also the lens through what you see. You well, know what I mean? And every experience you have after that, it's going to be affected by this. Well, like, dude, like I am, uh, I started uh, uh, helping out a nonprofit called Heart Support last year. They're big in the civilian space uh, mm-hmm. with um, mental health assets and all. And do great stuff, man. And uh, I got asked to, to help stand up Heart Support Vets. They want to take what they're doing and put it in our space. And... Uh, um jake lures is the founder he's the lead singer of august burns red um we talked 
we yeah uh, jake's awesome and uh we talked and i told him i was like you know this will work but we have to speak the veteran language like because we're not these kids we're not normal everyday civilians and and but but what i think is important too though because you kind of alluded to it is what what i'm going to do with hard support vets is kind of do what they're doing like a train the trainer type thing to get guys to pull guys in and start talking to them and all but I got to go to one of their little retreats mm-hmm. to meet some of their civilian kids that had went through these, uh, they call it a master class. And basically it's a self-care and then uh, engagement because they have like these support walls where like if I'm a kid and I go on there and I'm having something, you know, some issues, somebody will be there to respond. Right. Um, and uh, and I went there like nah, these kids, ain't, you know, and there's no way they have the shit. But when you talk to some of them. Like at the end of the day, just like you said, man, you know, the trauma, trauma is freaking trauma and the injury is the same, you know, but, but how you, how you, uh, like what I wrote into this hard support vets thing, when we put it out is I want to, you know, we want to do triage healing and purpose. But like I said, what's triage, man, what does that mean? That means ID and what the hell's going on? You know, what's, you know, what's the healing part? You know, because for them, it's touchy-feely, you know, everybody. But for us, that ain't the healing part, so we got to figure it out. Now, I've had about enough of that shit in the veteran post-service and suicide prevention stuff. You think coddling a dude who spent his life learning to fucking murder people is the way to go? What makes you fucking think that would be the right answer? Well, like, my goal, man, is I got, I'm going to do a thing, so I'm bringing 10 of my my buddies in that I know that have been through hell. And we got some counselors and all that are putting together this curriculum. But me and another guy, he's an old artillery guy, this guy named Dave, uh, we're going we're gonna to do a train the trainer, and we're going we're gonna to push it out. And then I'm, my challenge to them is to go do the same shit with their guys. But it's uh, the self-care piece is me telling you, like, oh, woe is me. Man, no, fuck that shit. Man the fuck up. Nobody owes you shit. You know, all, you know no, the language that guys need to hear. Mm. And, uh, You're a machine. Fix the parts yeah. so the machine works. But I'm works here to right. help. You but, and I mean, the, the what was me thing also is. I mean, yeah. we we talked about this, Mac, uh, and I talk about in the book mm-hmm. with, with you is is there's all this like one upsmanship with trauma, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh man, my PTSD. It's so much worse than yeah. yours. I'm right? at like a seven and a half. Right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, what does that even mean, man? <laughs> you're, you're at best a six. So yeah. You don't rate like I yeah. do. And like Mac, you know, we talked about this a bit. It's like once you realize, man, that trying to have a, a pissing contest for for trauma, it does. You don't you don't settle anything you, yeah. you, for yourself or others. And there's yeah. also no uh, there's no correlation between the uh, the level of trauma yeah. and the level of trauma that people experience no and and you have no you have no idea what that other person like how they're bearing that load right and uh i I was just i was really i I was really happy to hear when you talked about that to be like man as soon as i kind of let that go and opened up opened up the door to be like look i can i'll i can heal my own trauma by helping you get through yours so let's walk through this together Mm. rather than be like what was me and like all, all that well you know man i mean like our community like after the shit we did, we got we don't have to prove shit to anybody. Right. If you're out there feeling like you got to prove something, then you didn't do shit to start with, you know. Um, and it, it ain't about being, you know, insta famous or all this shit. It's about dude, just be you. Realize that, you know, if this kid over here is fucked up, he's fucked up. Who gives a fuck what caused it? Right. You know, fucking talk to him, help him out. Because I hope he didn't see the shit I saw, or I hope he didn't go through what I went through. You know, like. 
who gives a fuck? Because at the end of the day, it's an injury, man. You know, when, when it comes to that shit. And and, and with, uh, I mean, with, with uh, you know, we, what what you had to see in order to rate it or whatever. Yeah. There's always somebody who's got, who's done there's more than you, There's always a bigger man. fish. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Qui-Gon Jinn said contest, that. Man. Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> Big yeah. fan. That's he Liam Neeson. <laughs> Big fan. So. Uh, I think he's British, Qui-Gon Yeah. Is he Scottish? He's Scottish, man. Scottish. I think McElroy is, too. So it's a good thing. Yeah, that's you again. With that, I'm always curious, like, in real life, you know, you walk through the streets and, and you nobody knows what you did uh, unless they read the book or, or whatever, right? Yeah. Has anybody ever come up to you and just put a finger in your chest and be like, hey, man, fuck you? No. <laughs> no. I don't have that. I don't have that look about me. I don't think that would ever happen. I'm uh, always curious as to what would happen if it did. Well, you know, in this world today, like uh, me and Cavazos were talking mm. about this. We were sitting down having, having lunch one day, right? We're in this place. And I was uh-huh. like, dude. If we stood up and wanted to start some shit, not one single motherfucker in here would say shit. Yeah, probably, probably because not. they wouldn't yeah. because of how we look, man. Yeah, but yeah, no, nah, you know, now I have obviously, you know, we can all say whatever, but anybody that knows anything when they see one of us, they know we're a veteran, man. I mean, yeah, we all look the same. We all look the same, even though the haircut might be different, but we all have that same look, you know. <laughs> but, right, and is it because? Again, you were high and tight, like you were saying earlier, forever, and you were like, dude, fuck this, man. No, he's been a metalhead forever. He's been a metalhead forever. You know, some people are comic book nerds, shit like that. I'm a yeah, metal yeah. nerd, man. Oh, you are? Oh, yeah, dude. Who's your Who's your band? Who's your go-to? Oh, my, my number one all-time favorite band is Metallica. There's a, there's a story about a hat that we found in Iraq in the book. Mm-hmm. Dude, there was, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a magical. There's so much yeah, magic magical. Magical chest plate when I got hit. Magical Metallica hat yeah. saved his life. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's signed by, you know, my platoon back then. Three of the guys on there aren't with us anymore. Um, but, yeah, man, Metallica, because I grew up, you know, I'm, I'll be 50 here soon. So it was Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, Megadeth. You know, I love Cannibal Corpse. But, like, I'm, I'm just a metal in general. Like, if you ask me metal knowledge, yeah, I will destroy anybody. Like, I've already proven that. But, uh, <laughs> but also, man, like, you know, when I retired and I, I started getting my shit together, you know, I – I started meeting some of these guys who were my heroes, man, like metal heroes. And uh, is I, the Lamb of God sign thing behind you? I yeah. can't see it on the other side yeah, of that billboard. Dude, I just yeah, saw Lamb, Lamb of God. God. I just saw him a few weeks ago Did for like really? the fifth time. Yeah, that's Blue Dan's favorite band. Oh, I love Lamb of God, dude. Like yeah. freaking, uh, yeah, they they killed it at Blue Ridge, dude. But they always uh, do. But dude, like, um, I got you know my old ass. I'm a I'm just an old grunt, man. I did a horror movie, what two years ago? Came out last year. You know, I'm the killer in a horror movie, fucking, you know, with tomahawks and shit like this. And dudes are like, what the hell? You used to be this guy. And I'm like, dude, opportunity presents itself and it feels right. I'm going to do it. And, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, like I've been able to, because of my, you know, dudes knew as soon as I retired that the hair was going to come back. It took, a, it took about a year, though, because I was still in that mode. But, you know, I got the earrings back and, you know, and then I... I had a I had long hair for a while, then I had the mohawk, and then I shaved the mohawk off for this other movie they were talking about. And now I'm growing it back, but ultimately, man, like for me, for guys to see it, they think it's cool as shit because mm. they're like, "Hey, Max, just doing Mac, man." I'm like, "Yeah, dude, I'm fuck, I ain't I ain't in the fucking army. Like, I'll smoke weed, dude. I don't give a shit." Like, yeah. you know, some of the guys that I crushed back in the day for freaking pissing hot, you know, I've. I've toked up with them before, you know, since I've been retired because I'm fucking retired. You know, like it's, it's, uh, you know, and that's the thing, man. Like you just got to, when you, when you get to that point, especially if you're a career guy, you have to figure out some way, shape or form to let it go. Like not, 
you're never going to lose that side of you. Like, Sergeant Major comes out at me, like, all the time. But you don't want to be that guy every fucking day and every second because that's not – that's not fun, man. Like no, and you're done now. So yeah. it's like, dude, you can be and do, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever you want at this point. Doing, doing movies, books, all that other stuff. Have you taken any shit for it? Because, uh, you know, shit. Nick will tell you with with Tim Kennedy in particular. Like, goddamn, if you try to do any promotion for anything you've done or write a book or something, there's going to be people who come after you who are like, why the fuck would you, you know, tell these stories or fucking profit off of it? Well, it's like think about it this way. Um, You've, have you ever been in a toxic work environment where things aren't going well and there's an absence of leadership? The first thing that usually happens is that each individual thinks they're the only one doing any work and everybody else is fucking around, right? That's how it goes. And that's how it is right now in the veteran community because these people are fucking mind-fucked and depressed and all this other shit, yep. and we're not doing anything to deal with it, right? So it's think of it as a large workplace wherever it is like, that motherfucker had to do something to get ahead because it wasn't made available to me. That's just depression talking. That's what that is. And, well, it, and it's and it's very pervasive in, in the community. You, I mean, we all know it. Fuck. Yeah, People might, talk shit about us 24 hours I mean, a day. Like Mac talking about cutting loose and growing his, growing his beard out and doing whatever. Mm. I mean, but he's all like, he's doing that because he's fat, like finding his path, right? Mm. He's not just like, you know, letting it all, like, yeah. you know. But that's kind of the beauty of the fucking American military. It's actually something we discovered about Viking culture uh, about 18 months ago. I some, love Viking some stuff. culture. Well, what we discovered was that Viking wasn't just, uh, they didn't consider it, uh, it wasn't just Scandinavian people. No. They was, were like, they were Middle Easterners and African people that were well, big, just like, Germanic type peoples, man. Well, no, but they were, they were, they were like people from Africa. There were people oh. from uh, the Middle East that were well-respected captains inside of these, uh, you know, uh, institutions they had in Viking culture. Oh. It was about being a brutal motherfucker, right? Yeah. So we decide, it's Ken selection in psychology. We decide as a group who we're going to consider family and who we're not going to consider family. It happens all the time. Sometimes it's based on race. Sometimes it's based on language, class, religion, whatever the fuck else. But the, the important part of it is, is that we decide, right? And now we're at a point in human history where we have the ability to talk to somebody instantaneously anywhere in the world. And we're still yeah. letting these stupid, trivial fucking differences about ourselves, right? These, these, biographic details instead of psychographic details we're letting the fucking list of attributes define who we decide as our family or not versus the principles that they live their lives by which is the only thing that really fucking matters right mm -hmm. it's something that we as military veterans have learned in a way that civilians won't be able to learn unless we tell them how it works in my opinion because nobody else has had to fucking no. <laughs> you, you don't see people from this amount of different areas with this amount of different beliefs coming to the same uh, a scenario like that and have to literally fight for their lives it's there's only one place that exists uh, yeah to be well, honest and it's america i don't mean in combat i mean in america yeah. because other countries are not as disparately cultural as we are well, it just doesn't work that way well to answer your question not yet and like i didn't write the book you know it's just i'm glad it's out there so these guys story gets told you know um but you know like i'm i'm learning the instagram and all that shit you know but uh what I focus on daily is just being me, man. Like, you know, if somebody don't like it, man, I don't give a fuck, you know, like, cause at the end of the day, you don't have to like me. I don't, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm who I am. And what you see is what you get. I'm not some persona. I'm not some celebrity. I'm just Mac, man. And, uh, I think a lot of the problem is you get these kids that see these Insta famous guys and all this stuff. And they, they, they like, um, like, 
for lack of a better term, they just became the, become those little basement dwellers because mm-hmm. they never had the balls to do that shit. You know, they might have been in the military or whatever. And then at the same time, they're hating and pissed off because this guy's successful in doing this and I'm not. And at the end of the day, like, well, if you don't like the motherfucker, don't follow him. Yeah. And, yeah. and from a, uh, like a civilian perspective for me uh, and a lot, a lot of people, uh, w- when you look at it, you're like, hey, dude, you guys went through some unspeakable hell over there. You didn't make any fucking money for it whatsoever. You should be able to make money off of anything you want to do for the rest of your life at this point and whatever makes you happy. The other part of it, too, is you don't know how many people this is going to affect yeah. or, or young soldiers coming up who are going to read your book and be like, holy shit. All right, great. If I get in there, I might have a leg up and, and have some inside knowledge uh, at to, to what could be my future coming up. Yeah, It's like the old yeah. story. Um Guy falls in a well. Doctor comes by. He's like, hey, doc, I'm in a well. Can you help me? Writes him a prescription and throws it down there. The guy's like, what the fuck? Priest comes by. He's like, hey, father, can you fucking help me out of here? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. Go fuck yourself. Whatever. Right. right. Then his buddy walks by and he's like, hey, can you fucking help me out of this hole? And his buddy jumps down in the hole. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Now we're both stuck here. He goes, yeah, but I've been here before and I know the way out. That is your daily responsibility here, and it's what this book does. It's a path, right? It tells you who the players are. It tells you what they went through, and it tells you how they got out of it. So it's the most important thing that that we can do uh, as people that have had these experiences, right? It's to let other people know how to fucking deal with it. It's not about the war stories, man. It's about... Yeah, right? The the war stories are just part of it. And that's the background. The kinship stuff you talk about, like the military, it's a, it's such a, it's an odd, it's an odd place, right? Because, especially in the United States. But you have the, well, it's an odd place because the kinship is something that draws together disparate people who wouldn't otherwise have those, have those ties. Like, think about your first whatever. I mean, whatever your series you went through in boot Mm. camp or your first platoon or whatever. There were some there were some dudes in there that you never would have seen, talked to, heard of, mm-hmm. whatever. No. And you're all thrown together because you have this like baseline thing, this the service and sacrifice that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, as we're talking to we're talking to our fellow, you know, fellow veterans who've been out there like and having trouble is to remember there's that baseline, that baseline kinship, you know, that we can we can build off of. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's really a, a it it's a humbling thing to have such uh, to have such disparate people pulled together and, and work together. And it doesn't. Yeah, it there's no other country on earth that is like this, right? I mean, you could make some argument for some Western European countries now with some of the recent immigration, but just generally speaking, the American warfighter over the past hundred years or so has been pulled from very disparate communities and put into the most extreme circumstances. Like, and 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 you talk about this in the book. And Western European militaries, usually you go to a unit and you're in that unit for your entire life. You don't yep. move around and shit. And uh, when it's in a place that does have some disparate cultural levels like uh, uh, Germany or Italy, for example, they stay in their areas. Like the north and south of Italy don't swap military partners and shit like that. They stay where they're, where they're fucking from. My unit has hillbillies. It has dudes from the inner city. It has dudes from fucking that are upper middle class that have fucking degrees like I did. You know what I mean? Mexicans sometimes. Uh, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. There are people who are immigrants <laughs> yeah. in our yeah. military. You don't Dudes see in coats and dress shirts. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's just no, no. British military. I'm talking yeah, British, yeah, British, British yeah. military. No, of course. But yeah, you don't see you don't you don't see the disparate. 
culture coming together in any other country except for the United States, right? Maybe Canada, but they, they don't they have low participation rates for their immigrants in the military. Unlike us, our military has a fuck ton of immigrants, yep. which is great because if you want something, fight for it. That's a good fucking way to go through life, right? Why not? Why not do that? I mean, the first the first guy in the book, right? Mm-hmm. Sergeant Sergeant Jay, yeah, yeah. Drake, man. I mean, he came he came in as an undocumented immigrant from Mexico, and man, he served honorably and did and served a hell of a lot more than than some other people were and lost losses lost freaking two warrior, legs. man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, freaking yeah. warrior. So we're we we're making all these points for from your perspective you wrote the book what's the message from from your perspective like if you had to summarize if the, give me your elevator pitch for this book man my elevator for, well my 30 seconds my takeaway okay. my, my my takeaway from the book is <laughs> listening to to mac talk you know and thinking about your own experience like there is if you really reflect frankly on your own on your experience in the military it can make you, there's like a certain sadness about mm-hmm. it because you realize all the things that you squandered and that you messed up and that you could have done better. Um, but at the same time, it makes you realize that going forward, there's like perpetual chance for redemption mm-hmm. and doing the right thing by yourself, by your friends, by your community. And so I think the game's that's, not over yet. Yeah. No. I think that's the two, the two parts about mm-hmm. it is, is use your past, reflect on it, but don't get stuck in it and move forward. Mm-hmm. And then um, for the elevator pitch for the book is, it's a book that if you're if you want to hand the, this to a civilian who doesn't know anything about the military, this is this is a way to sort of describe very very like viscerally what it's like to be in combat and come home. But at the same time, it's something you can hand somebody who's been to combat and say, mm-hmm. hey, this might help you see you know see a little bit and better understand where you've been. So it's it's sort of a Swiss Army knife in that mm-hmm. way for for communities. Um. One of the questions Dan and I always ask uh, for for veterans who look at today's military and everything that's going on uh, today, mm-hmm. right now, would you go back? Uh, any interest in going back, knowing what today's military is now versus when you served? No, no interest in going back. Everybody said the same thing. Why is that? It's because uh, it's, and, and I see this when I go on the different military posts now and i don't go a lot because my neck twitches and it's already been broken i don't want to break it again but it's because you know the everything that you see now not just military wise is so risk averse and you're in a you're in a life and death job and and when you're in a unit that's supposed to be meat eaters war fighters that are supposed to kill at a moment's notice Jump in in the dark of night, freaking land on a freaking drop zone, mass confusion, go take out bad guys, do whatever. Like, you don't, the military doesn't conform to you. You conform to it. Mm. You have to come in <laughs> and understand, just like when you play football or, you know, sports. Mm. You have to understand that these things are like this for a reason. And you, at that level, when you come in, those leaders that are there training you and all, should be training you based off of what needs to be done to acclimate you to that way of life. And right now, and and the other thing I see, and I just tell you from my perspective is for me, what I see with, with the military now in general is it's more of a job than a way of life. Um, you know, and and you see guys in the military, and you talk to you know back in our day, there were dudes that just. 
came in, they did their shit honorably, and they're like, this shit ain't for me, mm-hmm. you know? But they did it honorably, and they conformed, and they did what they had to do. But the leaders had the power to actually step up and, you know, like, like, like he said with me, you know, and my buddy, you know, we were guys, I will put boot in your ass mm-hmm. because you're a kid. You know, like somebody asked me, and I was talking to another guy, you know, like, I love my SEAL brothers, I love my SF brothers, you know, all that shit. But, you know, when you see the military kind of going to that, oh, we're all professional, yeah, that's cool. But those guys don't have 17 to 21-year-olds, you know. You got fucking kids that need to learn a specific way of doing things, and what they really need to learn is, you know, follow orders, Mm -hmm. follow instructions. And when leaders aren't doing that, you know, when Everything is so risk averse. And, you know, when I see a kid on TV, I'm not going to say the units or nothing. And he's got a fucking beard talking about the unit and shit like that. You know, I lose my mind because that's not that's that's not what, you know, you want anybody that knows anything to see, you know, because when when we were fighting, we were feared, Mm. you know, the world feared us. But also like. I had some guys say this weekend, you know, when I was walking down the sidewalk in the army, dudes would see me or me and Cavazos and they'd be like, fuck that. We're going the other way because mm, yeah. they knew we would find something fucked up on them. But the reason we did that is because we always wanted them to understand discipline because the number one thing that saves you when the chips are down is fucking the discipline to do what you need to do. And, uh, and the thing I that mean, I don't it's, see it's is muscle discipline. memory. Yeah. Right. But there's yeah. no, you go anywhere now and it, it's not, there's like, my last couple of years, I saw it going that way. And, uh, you know, I have guys that I know now. They tell me and, you know, some other buddies, like, you you guys, thank God y'all ain't in because you would be like, you know, I mean, hell, dude, I was a CSM and I was told by, you know, a senior guy that I was too abrasive. And I was like, sir, I'm a goddamn command sergeant major. Yeah. You know, I'm not here to be fucking nice. <laughs> you know, that wasn't my job. But, but yeah, man, no, the, right now, just like if I had a son and he wanted to go in the military right now, no. Yeah, I would do everything I could to keep him from it. Now, I do believe everything works in cycles, and I think eventually, you know, it might take war, it might take whatever, but I think eventually somebody's going to be like, fuck, we need to realize that, okay, all these little assholes coming in need to conform to us, not the other way around, you know? Um, so that's my take on it, man. Man, well, I, we've had a great fucking time today. Uh, now is the point in the show we get to the drinking bro of the week, which is someone who has inspired you or helped you become the person you are today. Mac, we'll start with you first, and then and then Ben right afterwards. Who would you like to give the drinking bro of the week to? I would like to give it to uh, Command Sergeant Major Retired Flowers, Richard mm, Flowers. Richard Flo. Flowers, Flow. Yeah, I remember that guy. He's yeah. so. I would. I had been in the 82nd Airborne for maybe half an hour. And we were doing EIB at the time. It was in 2006. You were still there, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. You were still that. You were in what? Deco then? Uh, Aco. Aco. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we do. I, I go out and do all the stuff. Come back. We have to march back to the place because you know, if it's not painful, it's not meaningful in the 82nd Airborne for some fucking reason. But uh, and preferably raining. Yeah, yeah. So and he's cold. so he's standing there. I never. I, I never knew what to expect really from sergeant sergeant's major in the military i i had had some experience with him and it wasn't great right uh and but Flo was standing there out in front of the battalion when i marched back just like hey hollywood you get your shit i'm like how the fuck do you know my name i'm a private in one of your four companies and i just got here how do you know who the fuck i am and i hadn't done anything fucked up yet so there's no reason for him to know me 
He's but, one of the. He's he might be the best NCO that I've ever served. With. No, like, um, you know, I have a top two, but uh, he, you know, I, I I came to him as a young staff sergeant. He was my battalion sergeant major all the way up through brigade when I was a first sergeant, and uh, he was the guy that told me when I was re- deciding whether or not to retire. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Just fucking retire, Mac." He's like, "This ain't for you no more, and all you're gonna do is continue to hurt yourself. Let that shit go, man." But the guy, like. I love him like a father, man. And but yet, me and guys like Cavazos would ask him, like, Sergeant Major, why are you such a Joe hugger? Mm. You know, because he and he's like, well, y'all motherfuckers, I got to fuck up. Those are dudes I want to hear from, so I can fuck y'all up. You know, like. <laughs> but he made me understand that you he know, really what, understood the job. Yeah, that that you have to be when you get to that level. You know, you still have to be the standard bearer, mm. but you also want to be the guy that the kids want to talk to you when you come around you know sure um and and you want them to know that you care but that guy was there when i was wounded you know holding my hand when i got to the cash telling me you know everything's gonna be all right you know to i'm back at bragg after i got out of walter reed to pulling me up in his office when he saw me foot marching with the guys and like i'm gonna put you in the fucking s2 shop if you don't fucking follow your profile and shit like that you know or he was the guy that would if he caught one of my guys slipping, even after what happened to me, you know, he'd catch one of my guys slipping, he'd come up to me, wouldn't tell me who. All he'd have to say, put his hand on my shoulder, Mac, do I need to do your fucking job for you? And that was it. Yeah. But, he, but he, what he taught me was, you know, you are the standard bearer as an NCO, and, and when you're at that level, those guys are what matters, you know. And for him, the soldier, he, like he's a straight-up paratroopers, paratroopers, soldier, soldier, and he's – the best leader that I ever had, the you know my twenty five years, the best leader I ever served with. Like, That's awesome, bar none. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, Ben, how about you? Drinking bro of the week. Well, when you're when you're young in the military, you sometimes don't realize how good of a thing you got when you got it mm. with certain leaders and certain people you work with. And I, I've got to give a shout out to Sergeant Major Donald Reynolds, United States Marine Corps. He was my platoon sergeant when I was a second lieutenant. He was a sergeant, and he was my platoon sergeant. That's how good he was. Wait, he was an e, he was frocked from E five. No, no, he was sergeant? an E five that got put into the platoon sergeant job okay. all through deployment in Fallujah. Damn, damn, that kid was drinking through the fire hose. Wow. And he is he's is what what time period is this? This is two thousand seven. So um, not a great time to be in Fallujah. It, he, no, and not that there's ever been a great time. But yeah. um, is it nice now? No. I, Would you recommend an Airbnb? I went, still, I went back, still bars I went back on the windows, a couple yeah. years ago, ten years after being there. Went to my old fob um, and then had a shawarma up on uh, on one of the main streets, and it was a surreal experience. But okay. anyway, uh, Sergeant Reynolds at the time, now uh, Sergeant Major Reynolds, is he, he was one of the best Marines I ever worked with, I ever saw. He was just fantastic. Uh, NCO. And I think it's important to talk about guys like Sergeant Major Donald Reynolds because they are keeping the military the way it should be and trying to do the things. Mm. Like Mac just t- said that he wouldn't, he wouldn't go back. I'd go back. Um, and I think that there was never, there never was an old Corps, right? Like the Marine, Marines always talk about the old Corps. Oh, you don't know the old Corps. Well, sh- Come on. There was never an old, old core. Old core is a new core. It's yeah. old core, yeah. And, I mean, ever since, you know, Cato back in the Roman Republic would complain about O Tempores and O Mores, yeah. right? Like, yeah. the kids these days, right? Yeah. And even though, yeah, it maybe is different in some ways, there is a cyclical aspect to it, and um, there, are, there are people who are, who are holding it down and who are making sure that this generation can fight, can fight 
when it when when it comes to it. Um, so yeah, Sergeant Major Reynolds. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Cheers. What about Nick? Eh, I Nick's, know he's Nick's been on. I, ju- I just want to say that Nick's been. I've got if, a different question for Nick. I just want to say before you start, you don't get to have another drinking bro. You don't get to have another drinking bro. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say a drinking bro. I'm just saying if any of you guys ever fell in a well. I would get a rope or maybe a firefighter and actually help you out of the well. Yeah, digging into the I fucking just, I, I just metaphors. To, yeah, I just want to. Super helpful. Yeah, I want to. I want to bring that up. That's though. your drinking bro of the week is being <laughs> baby make, Jessica. Make, Why don't you make it baby Jessica? Then she was actually in the goddamn well. You know, making inane yeah. comments is his drinking bro of the week. Exactly. No, I was going to ask you before we leave. Yeah. Um, Matt called me the other night. It's best. Yeah, uh, I've heard of him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Second. Uh, second. <laughs> um. Any interest in in Rescue Sixteen still? Because that's we get well, it all the time. There Steven was a listener, Steven Seagal. Seagal. I know you were talking about Steven Seagal, and then a listener brought this in uh, what a week ago mm. uh, from Range Fifteen. Uh, any interest in doing that sequel? That is probably There's, the most asked question. We it get is all the, the time. most asked. Que- I get asked all the time, and uh, yeah, I mean, like, is it Janitors? Is it Rescue Sixteen? Is it is it Range Fifty One? Like, what is Do it? Both three. Well, Come Rescue on. Sixteen is written. Janitors is written. Um, what was the other one you said? Uh, the, if you remember, the uh, the original plan was the third movie was going to be Aliens, and it was going to be Range 51. Oh, that's right. That's right. Clapping cheeks. <laughs> it's been so long. Cla- yeah, 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 yeah. You don't, you don't even remember cheeks. No, yeah. Well, I yeah. know the other two scripts are done, uh, so they're out there. Um, just I feel, I feel like with the right contract shit. and a green screen, uh-huh. you got Seagal in all of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Dude, that's easy shit. Yeah. I mean, come on now. I, hey man, there's fucking actors that, I mean, you put them up against that green screen. They can do anything. Seven different movies. Yeah. And, and by the way, that's totally real. Uh, and it's one they'll give one big paycheck for it, and they're like, "Hey, we're going to insert you here and here, but we need to put your face on the." It used to be a DVD back then, um, hey, and that we, was the deal. If we do that, though, can we make Seagal like a centaur? I look. I'm Seagal would be hilarious, uh, and I think it'd be really, really fucking funny. And uh, the movies that Dan is talking about where he's in a chair, so it's a lot of sniper movies that he does. Yep. Um, and he's just there. He's got a little bit of dialogue, and then you can see him through the scope and everything else. Uh, and Natural I, sniper because he's always squinting anyways. He's you know? playing yeah. like a corporal or, or something like that. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. I, I think he can't be punched or killed or whatever. Like, he's got to do the killing no, no, and that, all that that's stuff. that's real life. He can't be punched or killed. Yeah. Well, like, but obviously, in real life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that's in the contract where it's like, nobody's going to kill me. Well, how's he going to be the villain me. in our fucking movie if he can't die? That's valid. That's a valid question. Well, look, man. Sometimes the villain gets away. And if you want life. Seagal... You got to work around it. Yeah. <laughs> He's basically like Dr. <laughs> Evil, right? So he did, he keeps surviving and then he hey, becomes friends with let's us. Let's not the third overlook movie. Nick Cage, though. We've talked about it. Uh, look, we, he was in. So, like, we, he was in and the, the dollar amount was, was settled and everything else. He's having a, a, a renaissance right now. I think we could do I, Wesley Snipes, I lo- too. I and he his, might be more I loved expensive. His last movie. I'm not going to lie. Loved, I loved it. I, me and my wife went and saw it in theaters. was so fucking Ab- good. Absolutely. I actually thought great. Pig was pretty good. Which one? Pig. Oh, Pig, yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty good. People yeah. love Pig. I mean, it's yeah. fucked up. But. Yeah. yeah, and then I think they're doing another National Treasure, I believe. Yep. So Yeah, he's going to uh, storm the Capitol on January 6th of 2024. Be there. That's the that's how I would do the promo. That'd be great. <laughs> they <laughs> probably won't use that, though. Yeah, they probably, no. they probably they don't, you know. Movie phone they're guys. Not gonna, they're not going to lean that far. Yeah, movie phone guy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it'd be awesome. Uh, so there's hope. You heard it from Nick. There is hope for a rescue 16 oh. one day. Yeah, and, and if you uh, direct all your questions to Nick, 
Paul Machado, yeah. Uh, and what he really wants to do is send out more merch. Um, yeah, if we from, could do perks for the next one, that yeah. would be, well, that'd be great. What we're going to do on that GoFundMe is everybody who uh, donates money, they get 56 perks. Um, mm. And those will be shipped individually from Nick. Yeah. yeah. So I know you're super amped about Perfect. it. And uh, the, the grand prize, I think, is to live permanently in one of the rooms in his house. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, if, if nice. you don't get the inside joke <laughs> on that, is that everybody uh, bitched about... Uh, you know, something was misplaced. A lot of the times people had just moved and they were like, fuck you, I didn't get my thing or whatever it was. And then they were like, well, I moved. We, I was like, cool, man. Well, Nick's not clairvoyant. He doesn't have your new address. We <laughs> shipped over 44,000 packages to oh people. 44,000. And even the listener who gave me this shirt was just like, uh, uh, I was like, why are you giving this to me? And he goes, medium. It didn't fucking fit me. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Cool man, so you waited six years, traveled all the way to Austin to give me a medium that didn't fit you. Yeah, I think the statute of limitations ran out on that medium. Bro. My God, dude. Yeah, like, what am I going to do with it? I'm not a fucking medium. And, and I think of the 44,000 perks that shipped, I think Mandeville shipped like 27,000. Oh yeah, yeah. That's like, why he is the way he is now. He can't sure talk. Is. He no. cannot talk about. It. Like no. he gets viscerally upset. I I I understand. Yeah. I understand. It was a it. lot. It yeah. was a lot. Uh, gentlemen, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Bravo Company and Afghanistan deployments and its aftermath is out now. Uh, it is available on hardback, paperback, uh, Kindle, uh, and then the audiobook as well. There's a special on the audiobook uh, right now in case you don't know. Uh, and then there's an, there's an audio CD if you're still doing that. Uh, a lot of people who were uh, driving the big rigs still are popping in those CDs. You're laughing, but you know it's, it's true. Hey. Uh, you see the truck stop still where you're just like, who's listening to an audio book on CD? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's it. Right. yeah, they absolutely do. And it's available on Amazon. Uh, easiest place to get your books. And uh, obviously, uh, Amazon owns Audible. We'll put it back on screen uh, one more time there. Uh, again, absolute pleasure. Best of luck with the book. And thank you for uh, sharing your story with the world. For D'Anthony D'Anthony Holloway, I'm Ross Patterson. This is the Drinking Bros Podcast. Good night, everyone.